Hey everybody, welcome to We Want More, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Harry Potter and the methods of rationality, Eliezer Yudkowsky's take on the world of Harry Potter. What the hell is going on? I summoned you. What? Once you're part of the network, I can summon you at will. I I don't remember agreeing to that. It's in the fine print, right, Elliot and Reuben? What do you fucking want? I was sleeping. What even time is it in Australia? Why is this happening? Oh, is this what Brian and I signed up for when we agreed to be part of the Doof Media Podcast Network? You said there'd be cookies. Yes. And this is just the beginning, Stephen. We've got plans for you. Oh, yes. Yes, Brian and I have signed on for a partnership with Doof Media, that podcast network I'm always plugging, and that we blatantly ripped off for this whole show. That's right. Um, I'm Matt Freeman, and we're really happy and excited to have you guys aboard. We want more as a perfect fit for what we stand for, namely appreciating cult media and being really unfair to the protagonists of beloved stories. (laughs) You're too kind. Thanks for the idea for this show, your support, and for inviting us to join the network. Every listener can find it on patreon.com slash doofmedia, where you can help support this show as well as the entire Doof Network. Uh, head over to doofmedia.com and check out all their awesome content. I've mentioned We've Got Worm, We've Got Ward. We've got the Doofcast. Yes. <laughs> we've got MediaMD and their shows, and we've got uh, Deep Impact, which is, which is a show that goes through Wild Bill's web serial, Pact. And so. Do the Right Thing, which is a do the pun right in thing. the name yep. there. Yes. Anyway. It's a writing prompt podcast. Yeah. Check it all out. It's awesome. I love it. it everything on there is great. It sounds like I'm chilling for it, like for money, but I've been chilling for it uh this whole time you guys have been listening it's been awesome so thanks for doing this with me matt and uh yeah really looking forward to this cool us too all right welcome back to we want more a harry potter and the methods of rationality fan fiction analysis podcast and as you heard in the intro this is now a doof media production so for dun, dun, all dun. The... yes indeed so for all the cool stuff that that means we'll touch a bit more on at the end of the episode but uh most uh, easily just head to doofmedia.com check out all their cool stuff I've plugged their show before um, or their content before but yeah it's now it's awesome it's great I've been listening for years and uh, Matt and Scott are super dope so and so is everyone else on there I assume but I've only really talked with Matt and Scott mostly so <laughs> except for the Infinity War episode that I was on I got to talk with some other people so yes um, they got a lot that, of they got what like eight or nine yeah it's up there um so, yeah, tons of great stuff. Check it all out. I'll be sure to plug some more stuff more specifically towards the end. So, um, yes, the other piece of administrative stuff here was that retrospective episode we keep saying we're going to do. Um, that's I coming. Swear, I swear it's going to happen. It'll happen. And uh, as far as when, probably next week, maybe the week after. But, yeah, we're we'll get it out there and it'll be a thing and then. That way we won't be too far into what's considered like book two before we actually do the retrospective on book one. So Yeah. And it'll be nice to sort of like be able to like talk about everything that's happened up to this point instead of being super focused on just like the most recent chapters or whatever. Yeah, instead I think it'd being be like a random tangent that I go off on. Totally. Um so yeah, I think that's it for opening up. Anything else on your end? Um no, not really. I cool. mean, peanut butter. Oh, wait, that's not, nobody cares. This isn't the baking show with Brian. And baking show with Brian's a Patreon exclusive. <laughs> that's that's the exclusive content. Right. They get to just yeah. watch your blender. If, if we get to $400, I'll make you a jar of peanut butter. 
<laughs> okay, that's or totally 400, true. Four hundred supporters. Yeah, four hundred supporters. Sure, I'll, I will make a. I will make a jar of peanut butter. I will um, hold you to that. Done. You heard him. If if we make it to four hundred supporters on uh, Patreon.com/slash/doof, or I think Patreon.com/slash/doofmedia, uh, then Brian will make me a jar of peanut butter. So. No, no, you have to. <laughs> I'll give it to somebody else, and you could buy it from them for five bucks. <laughs> suspiciously close to the price of an empanada (laughs) all right well jumping into chapter 25 hold off on proposing solutions Um, feels like i read this last week yeah i think you did but it's worth you know doing an episode on anyway even though you cheated so yeah actually that's a good thing i like totally did it without even planning so that's a a good indication of like how the flow is going so i think it was also thrown off by the act number things i'm like okay well i just got to read until all these act number things are done that was an interesting choice. I think maybe because Act 3 is by far the longest, but yeah. Um, yeah. In any case, this one opens up with Act 2. Uh, I guess right after like a little preamble from the author about how, um, uh, basically to summarize like Harry's discovery of, you know, how blood, I was going to say blood magic, but that sounds uh, um, more sinister and that sounds, specific. That sounds, that sounds too metal. Blood science, let's put it that way. Um a uh, quick summary was like, quote, although a modern science, science journal would find a lot more nits to pick, everything Harry presents as strong evidence is in fact strong evidence, and the other po- possibilities are improbable. So, that's, just, like, that's sort of like a general thing in science fiction all around is like even nobody is sitting there like pointing out and drawing like, okay, this part is BS and this part's actual science, but you can kind of always tell, like I think a lot of us like know a whole bunch of the science we know is from science fiction and I think in general, though, we're pretty good at telling the difference between the real stuff and the not real stuff. So you don't follow you don't follow Neil deGrasse Tyson on Twitter, then? I do not. Why is he all pissed off about science fiction? Um, I don't. I I haven't been on Twitter in like six years, but yeah, that's sort of like a running joke that he's always uh, like nitpicky about. Oh well, in the movie Gravity, they did this, and you know whatever. That said. Um, that's the thing. The I think we're actually pretty good at t- like we mostly know when that ha- like and we know when they're when they're taking liberties. Um, so yeah, there's some stuff that's terrible, and if it's bad, we all we kind of all roll our eyes at it. But I think his stuff is more just like it's part of his persona that he plays. Like yeah. he complained at the end of Titanic, of the original version, where um, I forget the main character's name is like on that door looking up at the sky. And his complaint was like, we know where the Titanic sunk and when, and we know that's not the right sky. And worse than that, the left half is just a reflected copy of the right half of the sky. Like it was just the <laughs> laziest thing ever. But when apparently they did the remastered version, he got a phone call saying, so, he got a phone call was like, so we understand you have a sky for us that we can use for the remastered Titanic. <laughs> so he claims that he won that argument. Um, I guess last note on science fiction, then we'll actually talk about the story. This is still preamble. Um, the book, The Martian, uh, Andy Weir. I mentioned his uh, story, The Egg, last episode. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But he was on Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast, and uh, Tyson was like, you know, there's like nothing really that I can point to that I can complain about in the science in this book. And he's like, thanks, I triple-checked because I had you tearing it apart in mind. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, if you want some awesome science fiction, The Martian is a great way to go. It's I, I, it's almost not even science fiction. Like, it's so close to just science it- fact. Um it, it's like, okay, yeah, if, if this was 15 years from now, this is exactly how it would be. Um, I, I really enjoyed that book. That, that I've seen and, the book before. I've seen the movie before seeing the book, so it's possible to enjoy the book. 
Absolutely. And the audiobook too was outstanding. Um it wasn't just like read, it was oh, voice true. acted. Like I I can't plug it hard enough, so I'm not even being paid to plug that one, but um yeah, check out the the Martian audiobook and or book and or movie. So Okay. Brian, what happens when we open up with Act Two? Uh Harry is in his me space. <laughs> he's got all like he's got his his it's sort of like me at work when uh, my girlfriend would come and tell me something. I'm like, you told me while I was thinking and therefore it didn't happen. So Harry is just like thinking about all of the things uh, that have happened to him. Um, but, and largely around the, the, the DNA discovery. Um, but, and so these, he kind of immediately goes into um, sort of talking through with himself. Like, what does that mean about it's kind of to somewhat a, a, kind of rehashing of what the what the genetic part of that is but he's sort of hashing out to himself and for us um what does that mean about you know how it works with wizards in general but then he kind of quickly goes into well what does this mean about how this world works or like how magic works in general and uh he kind of gets pretty quickly into like then he gets into the idea of you know this this doesn't behave at all like anything you would expect out of like science or just a normal sort of evolutionary anything. Um, and so he's pretty quickly going to, okay, there's basically, there's some kind of like, for lack of a decent word, there's, there's some kind of magic going on to the magic where it's clearly not just some kind of uh, unguided natural process that there's, you know, somebody's somebody or something is paying attention to people's DNA um, and coming up with like very specific behavior. And there's kind of a lot to it with this one. So I don't want to kind of like sum that up and, 50 words because he goes into it quite a bit he does i I actually cut and paste like a big wall of text i'm not sure how much to go into probably not most of it because it's essentially that entire act but i did like how you said the like he's in his me space because i even put in in there like parts of like the background of like what's going on is like in parentheses like that it's it's so not important to what harry's thinking about that he's barely like it's so background that we even barely get to know what's happening like oh yeah he's at breakfast um it's just like in this like little uh you know parenthesis interjections like it's so far removed from harry's considerations that we're barely uh it like barely makes it into the story right yeah and it's kind of becoming a running theme with harry of the and that happens in the next chapter too where he's sitting having breakfast ignoring the world around him while he's thinking really really hard so yet again, yeah it's awesome yeah um but yeah we have <laughs> yeah, quite so- it goes on for quite a while talking about um i mean basically i guess we can kind of get into it he's, he's sort of saying like okay the um the fact that that the dna that there isn't anything kind of gradual to so the the yes no the binary state of like you either are a wizard or you are not a wizard kind of argues against a whole bunch of like incremental you know evolutionary advances towards becoming that um and that and that the complexity of um i have an aside of the words coming out of my mouth but the complexity of the uh of the behavior of the phenomenon is so much that it it leads him to believe that okay there's got like uh, the example example he gives is wingardium liviosa there's no like evolutionary path towards the ability to levitate something has to do with saying this specific word at some point. So he's like, okay, there's somebody 
somebody or something is paying attention to the words we say, like, yes, there's this genetic component to when it turns on and turns off, but something actually has to be watching it. And I didn't connect it with this line of thought until I'm saying this out loud, that that sounds like essential complexity. So Harry's a creationist. Um, <laughs> he's saying that. But that's kind of actually, and now we're saying, that, I'm like, oh, I wonder if we're being led here intentionally. That Because I mean, what he's saying, though, is like, okay, there's got, he's not sort of much trying to very much characterize it, but he's like, okay, there's got to be something. Uh, and he goes into it like the, uh, the metaphor between like, okay, you know, evolution can create butterflies, but it takes engineering to create, what does he call it, cars? can't remember what the yeah um and that the that the phenomenon that we're seeing with magic is very clearly not a butterfly um and so it's as i'm saying this out loud now i'm realizing like that's basically like that is the argument around you know creationism that you know there's just too many things that's just that's so that show too much of a clear intent for this to be like the product of randomness um and that's kind of what he's saying, though. So huh. I mean, he hasn't called it God or anything, but he's saying, like, there's something acting like magic God um, that has decided, like, okay, now you are a wizard, but now I'm going to decide what does that mean. Um, yeah, so that that's essentially his, his conclusion. It's not so much... He, he I don't think he speculates much on, like, the creator uh, itself. Yeah, he doesn't go into it, that at yeah, all. Yeah, how like, that works. Like, it's just occurring uh, to me now, like, that's the, that's the next logical implication of what he arrived at and he bribed at it pretty forcefully and, and thoughtfully too but he's like okay something he was he was fairly certain about this is not just some you know organic um expression of you know forces going on like there is something making conscious decisions about that the word has to be wingardium leviosa right like so spells were purposefully complicated but yeah. not but not like a butterfly complicated for the sole purpose of making copies of themselves so it's not the kind of thing that could come about naturally. There's nothing, uh, like you said, that there's there's no uh, self-replication process or um, it it's it's that magic operates. Yeah, like more like a car than it does like uh, yeah. like evolution. And since there are two sources of of known ways to bring complexity into the world, which is uh, natural selection and evolution, and like deliberate engineering, that this like this looks more like an engineer. Um, so, so something had created the source of magic and told it to pay attention to a particular DNA marker. And like pulling a lever, you when you wave your wand this the right way and say the, the magic words, stuff floats. But only if you wave your wand the right way and say the right magic words. Um, yeah, what's interesting... The phrase he says is he's going, the chain of logic was inexorable. As he's like thinking this stuff out, he's like, oh... And it's similar to what you just said, like the ancient forebears of the wizards thousands of years earlier had told the source of magic, capital S source, capital M magic, to only levitate things if you said Wingardium Leviosa. I love it. Yeah, it's, oh, it's yeah. funny. And then like the other, I guess what kind of jumps to my mind, though, when I was thinking about that was like it almost does that perfectly. And yet there seems to be a way to kind of like tweak it that Harry, I guess, didn't get time to think about here before he's interrupted by Mr. Crab. But yeah. like... When he was working with Hermione and teaching her that bats, the bat summoning yeah, spell, blowing bats. like it almost works. With the oogly boogly spell, almost know what it does. Yeah. yeah, if you almost know what it works, if you almost know what it does, and almost know how it works, and almost know how to do it, then you can almost do the spell, which is not like pulling a specific lever. It's like you can almost scramble towards it and kind of pull it. Like she was able to to summon half bats and non glowy ones and that sort of thing. Um, which seems to imply that if you waved your wand slightly wrong and said, you know, Wingardium 
Leviosa instead of Leviosa, Leviosa. Um, then uh, you would get something, you know, maybe a pushing spell or a like a, a weight reducing spell, but not a not a hovering spell. Um, it's like you can almost pull the lever, which seems to kind of go against his, his compiling error uh, analogy. Like, you don't get your program to almost work if you have a compiling error, right? That's um, true. You don't get it to work 90%. You get it to work zero or all the way. Um, you can unless you can write it wrong in, and have it do the wrong thing. IE6. The what? Nerd joke. Unless it's running in IE6. Nerd joke. You know, well, uh, fun. I mean, I, I was trying to keep this side to minimum, <laughs> but this one's a one-sentence one. I am very happy to work at a company where we don't support Internet Explorer. We're, nice. it's, we're, we're just we're happy to say you know what fuck it get with the My, 21st century so microsoft doesn't support it in explore anymore either so <laughs> right. take that nerds yes. um so yeah the the i like how his his chain of reasoning says that the next obvious thought was that this had something to do with atlantis um and it puts atlantis in quotes and like i think you mentioned this last episode when you read ahead but it was like mm-hmm. this this kind of just comes out of nowhere. Um, and there's, I'm not sure what the word for this is. Like it, it, I like, it's not, cause it's not funny. It's not comedic. It's, it's like, we all know, we all know something, you know, the Atlant- the word Atlantis means something to every reader, right? We all, mm-hmm. we already know that that's a thing. And it's mentioned, I think once in the story, I didn't go back and do a control F through the entire story, but I did remember Draco saying something about the blood of Atlantis during his blood purism speech. So I had to go back and check. I wonder if it's just line... in retrospect, because like in my brain is linking uh, Atlantis and the interdict of Merlin as being like almost like the interdict of Merlin. Isn't that it? Like the interdict of Merlin came from Atlantis? I don't even know. I don't think that was established. I think the interdict of Merlin came around whenever King Arthur was supposed to be around, which is yeah. what, like a thousand years ago? Uh, yeah, I think so. 1300, so I can't remember. That sounds about right. And it lines up roughly with like the founders being super strong and then people not being as strong afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think Merlin came after Atlantis, but the, uh, yeah, all, I think, like I said, all I can remember it ever showing up before this was in Draco's speech where he says, um, if the taint is not checked soon, our wands will break and all our arts cease. The line of Merlin will end and the blood of Atlantis fail, hmm. which is the nice, you well, know, it's funny, like this did a good enough saying. job. This did a good enough job of like selling that whole kind of backstory that I had to like Google myself. I'm like, wait, was Atlantis part of like the original storyline? And as far as I can tell, not at all. But... I don't believe so either. Yeah, no, it's what I like about this too, is that it fits, though, is you know, cool. we got into this. A, yeah. And we got into this a little bit kind of piecemeal so far, but you know, it's not clear how big of a role Atlantis will play in the story, but this is, like you said, you went and checked. This is a clear departure, right? Yeah. Um, it's not like we just have different characters doing different things. We've got a different setup. Um, so this is the, the, the story is starting to more unfold into its own thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I, th- so, this is like sort of uh, looking at what's going on for me as I'm reading this. I'm becoming, I'm selling myself more and more on my, weird Palmer Eldritch version of what's really going on here. And so now I'm wondering like, okay, to what extent am I just deciding to pick out the things that fit and not trying to falsify my hypothesis? Yeah. I don't think we we're living in the matrix, but something like that going on. Well, I guess when you're, while you read, look for things and to test, to falsify or confirm that hypothesis, try not to fall for confirmation bias, but um, yeah, I think uh, it's, the other thing that I liked in Harry's little um, kind of pre, you know, 
while he's still all in his head. Um, he's thinking about, uh, oh, I liked this. Yeah, he was, um, <laughs> he recounts that uh, in the dawn days of artificial intelligence, back when they were just starting out and no one had yet realized how difficult the problem would be, uh, there was a story about a professor who delegated one of his grad students to solve the problem of computer vision. And I think it was supposed to be, why don't you knock that out this summer yeah. and then we'll meet, you know, oh, we'll meet back in the, in the fall <laughs> and uh, we'll have, you know, computers being able to see um, that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, then Harry has this, this thought. He's like, he's beginning, un he's beginning to understand how that grad student must have felt. <laughs> this could take a while. Harry might not be done with this problem by the time he graduated Hogwarts. He could still be working on this problem when he was 30 years old. Hermione that's had been old. right. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Jeez. I'm 30. Uh, that said, I haven't been working on anything in, in, in uh, any specific thing since I was 11. So, um, But you I liked that. You cast Wingardium Leviosa, though. So I know. Smart. What the hell? I was lied to. Um, he says, uh, Hermione had been right. Harry hadn't realized that on a good level before. He had just given, on, he'd just given an inspiring speech about determination. And I like that. Well, this is then I guess the next two lines are like Harry's mind briefly considered whether ought to get on a gut level that he might never solve the problem at all, but then decided that he'd be taking things much too far. <laughs> Besides, as long as he can get as far as immortality in the first few decades, he'd be fine. Um, so I I like it because it's like a moment of him thinking like he's he's recognized like a cognitive deficit of his, right? Like, mm. and I think he mentioned this before. Like he's turns out he's really bad at planning um, project completion times and estimations. <laughs> Right. So he, uh, he's thinking like maybe this is actually impossible. No, nah, fuck that. You know what? Maybe maybe solving this whole problem is impossible to do in eighty years. But if I can get immortal, then that's that's the that's the first important part. Don't buy me time. And then he thinks about how the the Dark Lord has supposedly had supposedly survived his death, and that that was like actually way more important than the fact that he once tried to take over the country. Um, and it is interesting. This is. It was a, a drag in the the main in the original story that like Voldemort wanting to be immortal was like never a thing that was explored. It was like mainly because mm -hmm. I don't know he's a bad guy and that's what bad guys do. But there are in fact lots of good reasons I think for wanting to live to be as old as you want. And uh, so Harry seems to think that that's also an important question. Like how do I make myself immortal? Um, I know a guy's got a whole <laughs> website about that. Who does? I know a guy. He's got a whole yeah. website about how death is not good death is not good uh, dying is not good.com yeah that, that rings a bell i think it's called death is bad blog.com yeah. and what's that that guy's uh oh yeah Enos like Brodsky. Aeneas, Aeneas yeah that's, that's his personal blog death is death is bad i think it's death is, was, yeah what was that Aeneas bro yeah, something <laughs> um so Let's see. Yes, at the end of this arc or uh, act, rather. Um, I like that real quick. Harry's I liked how by... how it um like this thing about like oh becoming immortal and and kind of talking about Voldemort was trying had tried to do that was sort of like brushing aside. Like that's sort of like the central theme to the whole original books, and it was kind of like yeah, but we're not going there. Like eh, whatever. Moving on In to what? the important this book stuff. Or the other one. No, the way Harry talks, like Harry's like alluding here to basically the central conflict around all of the original books, and it just like seems super unimportant when you look at it that way. Like, um, oh, you try to live forever, whatever. Yeah, in the original I books, like that, that seems to be not a big yeah. deal. In this one, Harry seems to be taking that rather seriously. Well, I actually no, I'm sort of seeing the opposite in that at least like the concern with whether or not you're going to 
try to live forever is here. Like that's not at all the main concern with Harry. He's trying to figure out how does this whole magic thing work and et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, he's not sitting there fighting I, about how to become immortal. Not yet. Anyway, though, it does. I get the impression that's a priority for him because he does say that um, the fact that the Dark Lord had somehow managed managed to survive the death of his first body was almost infinitely more important than the fact that he tried to take over a country. Um, like infinitely more important mm, is a big number, right? I think I think he sees the immortality thing as kind of a big deal. Huh, well, I guess yeah. I mean, but, yeah, that's true. In that, I guess like the vibe I got as reading it was like that was not. I mean, yeah, that's more. He was more like, oh yeah, that should have been more important, but that, like none of that at all was very important to him. I don't know. I guess because it, it was more like okay, surviving for a long time was just sort of this like thought on the way to how do I solve this problem that's in front of me right now about figuring out how magic works. And yeah, it, it didn't seem like it, it was a it, goal into itself. The, uh, the yeah, maybe that's it. That the avenue to immortality is like uh or that the. Uh, that immortality is like an avenue towards solving this more important problem yeah. of how the hell does magic work. Yeah. Um, that could be where he's, he's thinking too. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Well, and it's just, uh, sort of, it's like not what we're like focused on. I guess that was the big thing. Like it's like this all consuming thing with Voldemort, but for Harry, it's just, for, for me, it just felt like, okay, yeah, maybe that was supposed to be more important, but the whole subject is just kind of an aside as far as he's concerned. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, so yeah. Anyway, he gets uh, his train of thought gets interrupted by, um, <laughs> by Mr. Crab. Mr. Crab. Yeah. It's excuse me. At your convenience, Mr. Malfoy requests a f- the favor of a conversation. <laughs> I could sort of picture him like like he had met like he had practiced it a few times and was like me- had memorized it and was like at your convenience. I just imagine also like, in, in my know, head like these these two kids have like way deeper voices than you know, middle school kids would be able to have, but at totally. your convenience, Mr. Malfoy requests the favor of a conversation. <laughs> and then Harry is, I, I just imagine them being berated by Malfoy for like, the, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know, this like must be his second or third week of school. I forget. But at some point Draco's like, look, you guys need to stop talking like goons and start talking like civilized <laughs> people. And then Harry says, uh, I'm sorry, I can't understand you. You're not speaking properly. Uh, he says, if the boss wants to talk with you, so you'd better come see him if you know what's good for you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. And so then that's that's where it kicks off to the previous chapter. Um, but then we're jumping around out of order to go to Act 1, which takes place before breakfast, which was the night before. And this this has, I think, I think put it in the notes, the best line of the book so far. Um so, <laughs> Eniash is all over this episode. <laughs> His tone, you, you go, yeah. Well, you go with your best line. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. So I guess it's um, he Harry's arguing with uh, with Dumbledore about like how bad things were last night. You know about well, no, I'm not gonna. I don't want to punish Draco or go after him because what I did was worse. And Dumbledore is like, "What did you do?" And he says, "Well, I tricked him into believing that I tricked him into participating into a ritual that had sacrificed his belief in blood purism. It meant he could be a Death Eater when he grew up, and I, he kind of lost everything." And um, <laughs> Dumbledore says, "Dear me, I do feel silly. And here I was expecting you might try to redeem the era of Malfoy by, say, showing him to, true friendship and kindness. And then, ha, yeah, like that would have worked." <laughs> <laughs> we both we both pulled that quote i pulled that quote thing and like and i don't even know why i'm like it sounds like something inyash would say and i can like, confirm that inyash delivers the line perfectly <laughs> in the audiobook like sometimes he, he puts on like a slightly different voice for harry but that sounds exactly like just inyash being inyash yeah. Hi, um, inyash. yeah hey bud 
Um, then, the then Dumbledore's just basically like, "Oh, and this is the hero. We're all doomed." Um, <laughs> I so like this is that, like a super short little like Act One was this tiny like little interlude. And then we're yeah, just... it's like we basically just read the entire thing. So like yeah. Act Two, the whole thing about Harry's thoughts about blood and and magic that was like a third of this whole chapter, and so the rest of these arcs kind of go by. Um, a couple of them are a little longer, but uh, or a little longer than Act uh, One, but the whole reflection on magic is the bulk of the chapter here so um let's see then anything else you want to touch on in act one act one was pretty i think act one was almost um just like a way to break up the two act like kind of heavy like thought heavy act two just talking about like the implications of of how magic works um and then we go to and what comes up act five is what comes after act one um, is kind of then more back in action. So it seemed like Act 1 is kind of more there as like a shim between the two. Before we move on, you did pull out a quote about um, when Harry says what I did to him was worse. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess this is, and I, this is sort of goes back to what I was talking about last episode about how the sort of mellow drama around the scientific method and the commitment to truth and discovery and blah, blah, blah sounded like the kind of thing that you would say blah, blah, blah to. Um, it just kind of seemed like overboiled and like, and I was, like I said, I was, I was disappointed because that like the subject, the, the subject deserved to have that come off better. Um, and it just felt, it just felt sort of like, uh, just overdramatic. And so then this, this sort of like, I guess it just like brought me back to that same place. Cause, um, cause what Dumbledore says, like, there's nothing that can excuse. And like, um, it, so he says a reason I'm talking about, um, what, uh, Draco had done to him, and he's like, "There's nothing to excuse." And Dra- and Harry says, "What I did to him was worse." And and the, what I pulled out the, from that was really because like, I still wasn't sure. Because a, it's like, no, he tortured you, so shut up. Um, but I'll, but it maybe one of like, okay, is this Harry just being sticking to his story and being manipulative of Draco? But he doesn't really need to do that with Dumbledore. Um, and then just so then it made me wonder, I'm like, oh, were we really just supposed to buy all of that? That like you know, robbing somebody of their concept of what their birthright is, blah, 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 is worse than physically torturing somebody. Um, it's just like, I'm like, so, and so what I was wondering is like, I, I, I couldn't tell, like, were we supposed to, were we supposed to think that this is just a thing Harry thinks? Or are we supposed to think, is this a thing Harry doesn't even actually think and is just saying for effect? Or is this something that, that Yudkowsky thinks and we're just supposed to go along with it? And if it's like that last one, we'd be like, oh, it's a little hard to sell. Um, because I've had you have to just sort of like then minimize like how bad physical torture is, which then just kind of goes to like, okay, if you're going to do that, then you're kind of, you're writing off the value of the entire scene. Like any kind of power around all of that torture and pain is kind of thrown away if it can be seen as less than feeling like daddy's not going to love you. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just kind of like twin. I'm like, well, okay, where's all this? Like what? are we still sticking with the idea that that was like this completely life altering event of, Oh my gosh, I can't be a death eater. I mean, so it definitely was that I think like whether or not it's worse than torture, we can, I, I want to talk about a bit, but like it, it definitely was a life altering thing for Draco, right? Like the, the, the nonsense blood purism stuff he was raised with wasn't just like uh, his family's favorite sports team, right? This was their entire like a big part of their whole history and their, their whole thing. So now that he knows it's all bullshit, he can't uh, 
play a part in that for the rest of his life. So like what Harry did was kind of rip Draco's life out from under him in a way that makes it so that he can't really be what he thought he was going to be his whole life. Um, that said, yeah, I guess, I mean, there's, there's, there's something that just doesn't fit right about it. Cause I mean, so that, so maybe that would be true. Like if your whole life was ripped out from under you, that would be a big deal. And maybe you could start comparing that to, you know, hours of physical torture. Um, but at least for, I mean, just sort of playing out the don't think about it too hard version of everything that played out, what that turns like you cannot overturn somebody's entire worldview with, you know, one series of experiments like you can try, you can get them to consciously admit that they are factually incorrect or even, you know, but like your our sort of emotional centers are so grounded where they are for good or for bad that. It's not going to like just that little sort of intellectual exercise around, well, okay, now you know that blood purism isn't true, isn't going to like rock somebody's world. It's going, I think at work, like if it were in reality, the worst it would do would just make him like get really pissed off and go into some like violent denial. But like people aren't going to like truly have their world destroyed by something like that. And so then, which like you can, you know, like for the sake of narrative or whatever, we can like work with it. But if it's like stuck, if we're going to keep going back to like, oh, and oh my God, Draco's world was destroyed because of this. Like, at least for me, my brain has to either go, okay, that's like a, an emotional work in progress for him right now. Like he's doubting everything that's going on and upsetting him, or I just have to go, or he just wasn't. Um, but it just does, it at least doesn't, I can't fit it into my head that like, oh, okay. And then that was the day that Draco's world came tumbling down. Because either like, okay, that's not, that wasn't enough to do it, or that's just, you know, people don't work that way. I, I hear what you're saying. I think the only other little bit there is that Drake or Harry also convinced Draco that he didn't just like, he, he didn't just show him through the, you know, the experiments that they did that his belief in blood purism was false, but he convinced Draco that he actually sacrificed that belief in a, in a ritual. So like Draco I guess has, I has been convinced I that he can't actually go into denial about this. Yeah, I guess um, if you're going, yeah, if you go at that point, in sort of like kind of like my my core issue around this is that like people like we are married to certain things in our head, not that, that we can't move from them, but we don't like snap to them. Um, but that like so that works at least in the idea that like that concept of like these core magical things can you know you can't get out of a blood sacrifice or you know that there's these certain hard and fast rules that govern how the universe works. If that's already your, you know, view of that's how the world works, then that could kind of then you could be convinced that, oh, well, this happened and I sacrificed that. So then he really would start to believe that, you know, that that is how his worldview is. But yeah, I guess. But that's sort of like what the part that makes that like the critical part for how that fits in my head is like, okay, he needs something in his mind in order to make that stick with, with the power that we're kind of saying it is. And and it seems like we're, we're almost trying to talk about like the sort of like intellectual import of, of what that means would be enough for him to completely abandon his world. And that part doesn't work. So I guess I could, yeah, if, it, if he's, if it was almost some kind of brainwashing in a sense of like, Oh, there's, there's rules about sacrifices that, that are in play at all times. And, and this was one of them. Then I, then I could see that. Um, so that is what Draco right. believes, but yeah. to kind of take your, your original spot though, I, I, whether or not it's worse, like, Harry happens to get out of that with just, I don't know how long he was actually in pain for, like as long as it took him to put on the tourniquet, right? Mm -hmm. So 15 minutes of rolling around on the floor and throwing up and then he gets the tourniquet or the whatever that, not tourniquet, that pain relieving wrap or something. Um, but so it's then, attempted murder, like actual attempted murder. Yes, exactly. That's what I was going to so... say. So like what, what actually ended up happening was Harry was, was tortured for about a few minutes and then 
you know, was basically fine. He'll get the full use of his arm back tomorrow. So, like, Harry got off with kind of just, like, I don't know, a, a, a really hard, hard slap on the hand. Um, but what Draco tried to do, Draco had the conscious thought of, like, no, maybe he'll die in there, and mm-hmm. that's okay with me. Uh, like he didn't feel and he great about dying in there. And he kind of said exactly that too, Harry. Actually, but he was more concentrating on the like, oh, you're about to be screaming in pain for a really long time. Like there well, was a serious psycho killer part to it. Yeah, and then he, when Draco's back in his room reflecting on it, he's like, you know, maybe Harry's in there still screaming and he'll die. And he's like, ah, fuck it, I'll let him, you know, stay in there and keep screaming. Yeah. Um, yeah so what Draco tried to do was torture him to death, which definitely isn't <laughs> as bad as what Harry did to Draco. Yeah. Um, yeah, and but, this way, we were even just talking about like mental phenomena of what's going because everything that happened for Draco was entirely in his head. You say like important and true, but still like nothing in his his cheese did not move in his world. It, there was just he came to this emotional realization, um, and that was the bulk of like so yeah, not not like the physical pain of the torture that Harry went through, but the oh my god, this guy just tried to like and the only reason that his evil plan to torture me to death didn't work is that I got lucky. Or that I figured out my way around it, but as far as he was concerned, he did he, he did a really good attempt at torturing me to death, and he was fully intending to do it, which so that that would be traumatic. That would take you know a little time to get over, right? Yeah, Harry, you know, looking at it, especially if, you know the conversation with uh, Draco happened the next morning. He took being tortured in an attempted an attempted torture to death really kind of in stride. It's he's not in like the next morning. His his thoughts at breakfast aren't about like oh my god I almost was tortured to death last night. No, he's like oh, I'm thinking about magic and and Atlantis and blood and um, he's not even reflecting on what to you and me would be an extreme trauma. Uh, I'm not sure what that says about Harry or if if, if maybe I'm reading too much into it for once, but. Um, yeah, yeah. I, this I keep getting like, and this could totally work. I, as we're kind of more talking about this, I'm like, okay, this is like manipulation on Harry's part, especially because like the way he put it, he put it so very like bluntly and kind of matter of factly. What I did to him was worse. Was all that Harry said. There was kind of no emotion behind that statement. Um, so I'm thinking more that this is like just manipulation on his part. But there's I, there keeps a lot of this these times where I'll be kind of like things will grate on me or I'll be, you get kind of wound up on it is when I can't tell what I am, how I am intended to feel about what's, what's going on here. Like, okay, is this, are, is my dislike for this because I'm supposed to dislike this or is my dislike for this just because I don't like this? Um, and that's, a, and there's been a few places where it's like, uh, you know, I'm not sure, like if this is just the ride I'm supposed to be going on um, and we're going to, you know, see where this goes and that would be cool. But I'm like, oh, or is this just like how we feel about the universe? Like, is this just something I got to get cool with? So. Maybe it's just how Harry feels about it. Like Harry sees having his worldview destroyed as more traumatic than being tortured for 10 minutes, Um, which maybe it is. I mean, they even joked about how human sacrifice would be easier um, than having to admit you're wrong to nature. Right. Uh, But again, yeah, that's like a that's a joke. Yeah. But it's one that, you know, when we weren't in Harry's POV at the point, but he does nod Mm -hmm. when Draco says that. So. Or he says, like, maybe. I'm not really sure, but he acquiesces anyway. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm glad I pulled back just so we didn't move on to Act 5 before we talked about that. So um, let's go on in Act oh, sure. and a lot And a lot in there because, I mean, yeah, that was just pretty and only about a paragraph after that for Harry to explain what he meant by that. But. Yeah. All right. Although I think he had said that. He kind of said that not to Dumbledore earlier. He sort of rehashed to Draco what he had said to um, Dumbledore. Yeah, so we got part of that so, conversation yeah. in the last chapter, but yeah. uh, we missed Flitwick, 
flailing his little arms around and yelling <laughs> at him. But so act five, what's going on here? Uh, this is cool, at least for me, um, because in the because the last parts of uh, Deathly Hollows is so where we are with um, Fred and George uh, walking down the tunnel, the secret tunnel um, from Hogwarts to Honeydukes in um, in Hogsmeade. And at least for me, I like it was this in the because like, it's this sort of like magically long uh, miles long tunnel that they're that they're going through, which was always sort of like very vaguely described in the in the original books. Um, and I guess it was just kind of a cool throwback because like these scenes in the in the ends of the of the um, of Deathly Hallows are kind of like really like tense, powerful scenes, and like this is like the build up to the to the the big conflict and the battle of. Of Hogwarts and blah blah blah. So it's kind of cool to like be brought back do, to this. Do they sneak back into Hogwarts through these tunnels or something in the? Death yeah, that's, they get when uh, when the Death Eaters have completely taken over Hogwarts. Spoilers. Um, when the Death Eaters have completely taken over Hogwarts, I can't remember who is all there. It's uh, it may just be it's like Harry and Ron and Hermione, uh, and they get they get like semi rescued by Dumbledore's brother, and then they and it's like behind a like behind a portrait of Dumbledore's sister or something, I think. And, but then it's the cool scene, like th- that's their first time of having seen um, Neville for a really long time. And that's sort of like the transformation of Neville into badass Neville. Oh, yeah. It was like, you get to see him as being like, he was this guy holding down the fort the whole time they were gone. And it sort of become his own, like the little mini leader of the, the Hogwarts faction of the, of Dumbledore's army. So it's it like, it kind of got like, this is all like, there's a whole bunch of like really cool, you know, summation of a bunch of different like threads of the whole story that happened like right here in this tunnel. So it was kind of cool. I don't know. It's just neat to like be reminded of all that again. Nice. Because I, and I don't think like this tunnel at least doesn't appear very much in the original stories. But when it does, it's kind of like a big deal. They, and I think they refer to it existing a few times, but it's just kind of like this thing. And I mean, we went back and forth a couple times, but yeah, I know it shows up at some point in one of the earlier books. But yeah, um, yeah like it's a plot point that that might be how oh, I can't remember, but. Anyway, old books aside, in this one, Fred and George are going down it to, uh, um, oh yeah, they were just sneaking. Oh yeah, it was it was Honey Dukes. On, yeah, yeah, Honey They're I think they go. Oh yeah, well, so there is like an important bit. But so yeah, we as the whole thing, by the time we get to the end of it, we figure out that Fred and George are on their way to to Honey Dukes to talk to somebody there to further their their evil plot, and we don't know yet what that is um, at this point, but the cool little thing that I could at least as I was reading and being like okay this is important is the first first parts as they're walking down the tunnel they've got the Marauders map now I think is this the, our first reference to the Marauders map in this story yes I believe so um, but so Fred slash George whichever one says to the other one like oh is it still is it working okay and we're not really sure what they're talking about and he says like oh no it's still having like intermittent problems and realize they're, they're talking they're talking about the Marauders map as if it's like some kind of like glitching electronic device or something like it's not working right. Um, I don't think they get really specific about how it's not working right. They are expressly um, vague about it. It yeah. is kind of frustrating. All they say is like, uh, or like they ask like, how's it doing? And still on the yeah. fritz. And both or intermittent one fixed itself. Other one is same as ever. Which, oh, you're right. That's like. What the hell like does that mean? Specific and vague. Like, oh, he's talking about, like, both what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just as you're reading, like, okay. And they just kind of move on from that. And it didn't seem like it's not super important. Like, they're running through the tunnel. doesn't really need the Marauders map much, except for maybe for them to have been able to know it was safe to get into it. 
Yeah, I get the impression right. so, yeah, that once they're in the like, tunnels, they don't, you know, they're they've yeah. already snuck their way in. They're just like analyzing it to see what what how the error, I guess, is doing. Yeah. But I also like how it turns it into like in the original, it was just like this, you know, pranking tool that the Marauders invented. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Harry's dad and uh, the others, right? Um, in this one, it has some more gravity to it because. And this is Fred and George speculating, but it's like this was probably a part of the Hogwarts security system that was, you know, made when they when they yeah, built the really. fucking castle. Yeah. It wasn't just something that a bunch of kids made 30 years ago. Um, and I, I think that makes a more sense and B, it's just kind of like more fun that, you know, this was a this was a security feature of the of the the castle that some pranksters had previously stolen and then tweaked for a tool for pranking. Um, and it's uh I, I, to me, that's just yeah. like a little more fun origin for it. Yeah, well, and so. it's also, it's sort of like the time turner as well in the sense that it's just like in the original story, it's almost a little bit of a throwaway idea. I mean, sort of, it, it's fairly important in terms of what it does practically for Harry that he's able to like track people's movements with it. But it's not like where you, if once you stop to think about it, you like the, oh, like, oh, it would have been real. This is a little cheapo trick that would have been really hard to pull off. And so this thing's actually a sign of like a great deal of magic had to go into making this. Totally. Um, but, and then it did also make me think like, okay, this is, so there's clearly there's something important about this that's going to come later that I don't know at all yet, but it also made me think about like, okay, maybe this is one more symptom of, okay, magic is dying or something, you know, things are falling up, something is decaying and falling apart and the Marauders map is starting to not work right. And it just made me think like, maybe there's, it's just part of like a general, like magic is falling apart, which apparently is completely not the theory because we're saying it's just that knowledge is being lost, but that was what the idea that I put in my head. No, and that's interesting. My, my, this... my Rosencrantz and Guildenstern theory that like, okay, the, the real, this, this reality is just falling apart and it's harder for them to uh, keep the resolution going. I like that. That's actually fun. This, if if Harry and Draco had known about this, this would have counted as positive evidence for uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, magic spacing, speci- right? Yeah. And they were specifically um, talking about like magic, like because Harry was talking about like the Sorting Hat and so like the, you know old magic items. Yeah, it was a Dungeons and Dragons term. Huh, something to think about. Um, yeah. yeah, the other thing that I guess happens in this is they get to uh, Ambrosius. Flo- I don't know if I'm saying that right. Flume's uh, secret door and wake him up. And they explain that they need help um, with their as yet unspecified plot mm-hmm. against Rita Skeeter. Um, and then uh, Flume reveals that, oh, you know, Malfoy's behind Skeeter, and I can't believe he would go after the boy who lived. And then, uh, like, the Weasleys are both like, oh, Malfoy's behind Skeeter? Well, there's no way Harry would have known that. Otherwise, he wouldn't have told us to, to do this. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, Harry did, and he did tell them to do it. I don't really know what to make of that, other than I guess Harry. Did, no, Harry didn't know that Malfoy is behind Skeeter until late. He's about to find out. Or did this scene happen after the fact? Oh shit! Because things right. are out so, of order. Because oh, he yeah. doesn't. He finds oh, out from from Quarrel that Malfoy is basically the backer to Rita Skeeter, and he was surprised by that. But everything's out of order, so I'm not sure. No, Actually, wait. we don't necessarily at this point. They don't know that whether or not Harry would know because like this is happening in parallel. Or at least we don't like. There's no interaction between them. Like the, their last, the Weasley's last interaction with Harry was him giving them the money and telling them to do this, and they don't have any interaction with the, with him again before Harry goes off. And that was in Act Four. In, in Act Three, Harry has the conversation with Draco about how he's got a plan to to deal with Skeeter, so he doesn't need Lucius's help. So I guess all Harry knew was that Lucius could stop the article, but not that he is necessarily mm. behind Skeeter. Oh yeah. Um, 
So I guess those are subtly different. Yeah, he yeah. does learn expressly later that Lucius yeah, I think, is, is deliberately yeah, now that I remember pulling when the strings. Him, yeah, I remember that as being new information to me when Quirrell tells him that, like how much like Malfoy was just like you know the puppet master for Skeeter. Because yeah, my impression before was that it was just okay. Lucius Malfoy is just a powerful man that can cause things to unhappen if he wants to. That was kind of more the vibe about how he might intervene with yeah. Skeeter. And then you're right. Then then Quirrell tells him later, like, no, uh, Skeeter's specifically a pawn of, of Lucius. Okay, yeah. So maybe Harry didn't actually know at this point. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, then they uh, they tell Flume that they need his help, and then it just ends with Flume saying, all right, what do you want? Yeah, and doesn't uh, it also like they like he is convinced because the, like the way they sell it to Flume was it's for Harry. Right. And it's sort of like, and he's like, oh, okay, if it's for Harry Potter, then this must Mr. be Flume, the boy who lived needs your help. <laughs> So then we're on to act six. And six. I do like this is especially as we're going through it after the fact, it's kind of the way this is out of order and the way. It, so it'll like do plant the things of significance before we realize that they are significant because now we're coming in. So now it's this act, I think, is also pretty short. Yeah, it's just it's basically Rita Skeeter bumping into Quarrel um, on the street in Diagon Alley. And we don't have any sense yet of like why this is happening do we i don't think no it's it's seemingly out yeah. of nowhere yeah and we don't yeah we don't even know why quarrels in diagon alley or what's going on um it's not until like but it's not actually not till the next chapter we figure out the context for this isn't yeah um, and this one she she's going off to follow a lead that madam bones is making time with one of her younger assistants at mary's place making time yeah whatever whatever they uh you want to read into that <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but so I think all he does, like he bumps into her or then it's like clear that like he purposely bumped into her or something. But and she's like, what did she say? Buzz off Buster or something very 1940 yeah, just sounding. Um, out of my way, Buster. She says Buster. That alone, I think, earns whatever she gets. There you go. Um, but, oh, but yeah, then, and so Quirrell's I like, like that, right, right after that line, though, I like that because then she goes to like sidestep him. And, and it's just that like he moved along. so perfectly that it was yeah. like neither of them had moved at all. And mm-hmm. it's just like flexing his martial arts. Yeah. Like he's just. Like, I know there's Whoa. been a, like in this and like for several things coming up, we're really playing up the Quirrell is badass thing. Quirrell is badass thing. Yeah. Totally. Um, so, yeah, what is he, he? So he basically says, like, I need you to retract your statement, which and we're not even sure what that statement is. Right. At this point, we're not sure what she's talking about. Quirrell's talking about right um and she's like buzz off bojo mm-hmm. and <laughs> um and i think that's it. he's it's, and then he basically just makes like vague threats and um i think he uses that phrase lever or something doesn't he I was hoping, yeah i'd hope to find he says miss skeeter said quarrel i'd hope to find some lever that would prove persuasive yet i find that i cannot deny myself the pleasure of simply crushing you um so yeah it's just kind of like this quick like they meet he says hey retract your story of which we don't know what they're talking about um, and he just sort of says, final, I will crush you. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and we kind of walk, walk in and out. That's the whole act. Um, and we're not in, we're sort of intentionally having kind of no idea what was going on here. Like, we don't know why Coral was in, um, Di- does it even say he's, I guess, does it even say that we're in Diagon Alley? I guess we sort of. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's a street. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, I mean, we, we do know there's somewhere on public, but yeah, there's like intentionally very little context to what's going on here. Um, Except to establish that nobody has ever liked Rita Skeeter. Um, oh, and doesn't it hear uh, where she mentions 
uh, vaguely about how she can turn into a bug. Yes. Yeah, that she's, because we were, we were, oh yes, but not proof against a beautiful blue beetle nestled up against one wall. Um, yeah, so the room is, is... Oh, and it's, I didn't get this until we're reading it again. It's specifically, so the place, when we'll get to it in a minute, that um, Quirrell and uh, Harry have lunch is called Mary's Place. A very popular room for certain purposes. A room which, she'd found, was secure against all listening devices, but not proof against a beautiful blue beetle nestled up against one wall. Um Oh, so I guess like that, that is because, and then later he'll also talk about how oh, there may be somebody in here. Um, so something is going. They were they were eavesdropped upon. Yeah, well, we haven't, got, we haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, so Act Four. Act Four. What? What? what and so far, what we did was three. The act that we did in Chapter Twenty Four. Yes, we did. So then we did three, two, one. Five, six, and then so we only have four left. Yep, this is the last act of the chapter. Right. Um, so, so this one opens up with uh, Harry trying to recruit the Order of Chaos, which is what they named themselves when they were at the train station. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah. Lee Jordan um, was the other like part of the Weasley duo in the canon one, and we haven't seen him yet, I don't think. And he's just like, nah, count me out. I'm more of like just the standard prank guy, and he just leaves. He's, he's just the Quidditch announcer. Yeah, he it's does like that too. That's, 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 that's all he is in my head as far as a character in Harry Potter. But. I don't remember what else he does. I mean, I think he's involved with Weasleys in some capacity. Yeah, I think he's got, but... and then he's got some like minor thing. I think when it like towards the last couple books and Dumbledore's army stuff, but I don't think he's that. He's never a big character. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so in this one, I guess he's going to continue to be a small character and leaves to keep uh, you know things simple for us, I guess. Um, and I guess keep this more focused on focused on the Weasleys, which I really likes. So. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, Lee nopes the fuck out of there and says, I just want to do regular <laughs> stuff. Um, <laughs> because, like, Harry's explaining that, like, no, no, like, you know, a, a regular prank, you know, just like, you know, dumping a bucket of water on somebody or something is just like, that's, 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 you know, that's, that's amateur hour. Let's, let's talk about, like, the surreal ruin your reality kind mm-hmm. of prank, like what we did to Neville, which, you know, was, was bad and, and the sorting hat chewed me out. But the cool part of it was how it made Neville doubt his own sanity. You know, that <laughs> I think it, too, like like Lee Jordan just kinda like bailing on them is kind of a way to sell that like the the extra level of cool that Fred and George are. Their commitment to anarchy exceeds that of Lee Jordan. <laughs> yes. I like that, the commitment to anarchy. Yeah. Fred and George, like, you know, they clearly care about like learning and doing a good job and um being good people, but like they're I like that. Yeah, they're just like they have this kind of kinda like the most like wholesome version of fuck the system. This chaos doesn't just happen on its own. (laughs) Yes, that's right. It's a lot of work. The the result of lots of hard work. Um, But he's like, no, the the real power of pranking is the way that, you know, everyone else had felt when they saw Snape apologize. That's the true power Mm -hmm. of pranking. Um, And uh, Fred and George say count us in for, there was no doubt that God of Gryffindor would have said yes. Um, (laughs) I liked how there was another line. um, I can't remember. Did you, pull this out uh or is it just me nope it was me because i i like this a lot where um (laughs) when um they they were thinking about how like when they started the order of chaos quote unquote they just done it done that to recruit harry potter after they after ron had told them about harry being all weird and evil and fred and george had decided to save harry by showing him true friendship and kindness um which is exactly what dumbledore thought that harry should have tried to do with draco was those exact words. Mm-hmm. 
I, thought, I just thought that was funny. Right. They're they're both. Well, they're they, all. But then they said they're like, oh, but thank God we didn't have to do that for, carry that on much longer. Yeah, because it turns out that you know Harry's not all that bad. But I just liked how both Dumbledore and the Weasleys have in their head this the the idea of redeeming somebody through true friendship and kindness. Um, <laughs> it just it it shapes their you know kind of characters. I think being on sort of the same wavelength. Um, and the other funny part for that news. to me is that when they recruited Harry at the train station, all Ron had to tell them about was like, I saw Harry Potter hanging out with Draco Malfoy and he and he's shitting on Quidditch. And they're like, oh, no, he's clearly dark and evil. We need to try and redeem him. <laughs> um, so let's see. Yeah, he basically goes on to explain um, like what he wants them to do, which is like ruin this whole Rita Skeeter business mm-hmm. about like I hear she's trying to ask questions about me. And um, it's a it's a cool idea. It's a very like in a, in a sort of sneaky, like not a frontal assault idea of that they basically they want so what uh what harry wants the wants the weasleys to do is figure out and he, he doesn't want to be told any specifics because he wants possible deniability but he wants them to get rita skeeter convinced of some ridiculous rumor about harry and publish it and so the kind of thing that's as ridiculous as it could possibly be to get as much attention as it can while still being believable um and then also the kind of thing that could be very unambiguously disproven to make Rita Skeeter look stupid um, as a way to a just get her to cut that shit out and be to like make it so that nobody believes any you know that any kind of crazy shit coming out of Skeeter from then on about Harry Pill be just just like oh it's that thing again um so yeah I thought it was cool I don't even know how like important that's gonna be the plot or anything I just thought it was like a really cool way to like attack that problem yeah I like it because it's um it's like a subtle way of dealing with the problem, right? Like he could, he could flex his boy who lived uh, status and like try and maybe, maybe even appeal to the minister of magic or something and being like, you need to stop this bullshit or something. But instead he's like, no, let's do this. Like kind of like subversely. And yeah. uh, right, so it's not so much. Su- it's a clever way to deal with it because it's almost like once it's found out what he did, there's nothing subtle about it at all, but it's sneaky. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think, then the the kind of like the rationality uh, plug for this chapter, um, which is also the name of a less wrong post called Hold Off on Proposing Solutions, because um, Fred and George were like, well, I can't think of anything. And uh, Harry's and then Harry began to explain how he went about thinking of things. It had been long. It had been it had been known to take longer than two seconds, said Harry, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But in, in this in this bit, it doesn't come off as like um, condescending. I don't think it's like he's he's explaining that no, look, here's what happens. You know, people get people hear a problem and they try to solve it. They don't uh, all too often try to like actually analyze the problem as deeply as possible until they fully understood it and then start thinking about ways to solve it. What they tend to do is they hear the problem and then, especially as a group, they'll put forward solutions and then get attached to their solutions. And then they, they kind of stop discussing the problem, right? Mm-hmm. And apparently this goes this problem scales as the complexity of the problem goes up, um, which is the exact opposite of what you'd want to happen, right? Um, and it, it that to me is just kind of interesting. Yeah, I um, this is completely a, a mental exercise tangent now, but um, what this made me think of was the... I'm, don't know how much we're going to again go off into like, oh, we both happen to be computer programmers for a living. But 
Um, had, had you thought about this in terms of like what they call it agile um, in our profession, um, which is basically kind of the, as I was reading this, I was, what it made me think of was like, okay, this is the idea of, or it looks like the idea of let's plan everything first before we do anything. Um, which at least, you know, in big projects kinds of things, and especially in software is a terrible idea. And the way that they tried to do things for years and years until they got tired of blowing through their budgets and schedules. Um, but what it made me, what it makes me wonder about, about how it's applied here is, so there's the point about like, okay, stop and think about it before you like start figuring out all the ways it can't possibly work. Um, but I think maybe what's in the way that it's framed here, there's kind of, an assumption around it that you get one try, um, which it's not explicitly stated and maybe not entirely true, but there's almost kind of like, oh, we have to like, we have to like really sit down and think about it so that we can come up with the best idea before we start trying to like actually apply it to the actual problem. And at least like the, the, I think very, very valid and almost entirely opposite approach to a problem is hurry up and as quickly as you can fuck it up and figure out why you fucked (laughs) it up and then unfuck it. Um, and it's almost very explicitly sometimes like, don't stop to think about it go in there and fuck it up and you will learn something from it. Um, which is maybe not like in conflict with this idea, but that's what made me like, and I like, that's the, like the grand summary to the agile methodology of development is go in and fuck it up quickly. Um, uh, I maybe yes and no, in my opinion, like, <laughs> that's like I, I hear what you're saying. Like part of it is like get in there and do it, but like depending on the scale of the problem, um, you know, planning and discussion is really important, you know, like, so in, in larger agile frameworks, they actually do spend time, you know, it can be, uh, like actual days of just meetings with teams and saying, okay, look, here's what we need to do. Here's all the steps we need to do to get in order. And like, I think like, and if how it's the, like, how'd if it's that like, work out for it, our former employer? Well, they, <laughs> th- th- I think that place is a good example of how, how to do things wrong. But I think the, what it does teach is like, the if you're handed like a a small task then it's like all right get in there and try and do it then it's like that's Mm -hmm. you don't need to sit there and ponder for half a day or you know whatever on how to do it right you know five minutes isn't actually that bad um you you know you if if you're handed a a small task at work a full five minutes to think about it probably isn't out of order um but certainly i think as the cost of failure goes up the like the time that you spend thinking about it should also go up Mm-hmm. so yeah i think it like depends on like the the and this maybe totally applies to well and it's a it's a good point that was that was made too and i asked the other little note i made to myself about about how this was brought up was it wasn't just brought up as this sort of like abstract idea of oh it's better to stop and think about the problem before you actually try to figure out solutions for the problem uh it was actually like you know he referenced some you know actual i can't remember now the specifics about it but saying that like okay there's here's actual research that was done into it and the actual result results are that it is better for people to you know just think about the problem before trying to solve the problem um so i thought that was cool but i, I guess the other way to look at like another so and for this particular situation um i mean this always applies in any kind of sense but it probably applies you know even better for this but you could picture a different problem you know similar but not but not the same problem that they might be trying to hit where, because it is kind of the case with this Rita Skeeter thing. It's not like they can just keep trying to discredit Rita Skeeter in a way that doesn't like, where those attempts don't like fuck it up. But there could be, you know, some other kind of challenge they were trying to get where it would be more valuable to 
you know, you're gathering data by trying a bunch of shit and seeing what works and what doesn't work and then kind of modifying your, your approach accordingly based on, you know, actual experiences with it. That doesn't really work well for the how do we discredit Rita Skeeter problem. But I just thought it was because it made me think about like, I guess, because as it was stated with this, that like all made sense and it was like something interesting to think about. And then again, I especially like that it wasn't it wasn't just like this abstract, you know, talk out your ass thing. But they're like, oh, and, and actually people have actually found it to be true when they've um, looked at it. But um, but that it just made me think like, OK, that's that's almost in as much as it makes sense as it's being played out. It's almost in opposition to this other thing that also very clearly makes sense in its context so and i just thought it was interesting like it made it kind of brought all that up yeah and like i said the specific problem that this being brought up to solve which is like let's discredit rita skeeter if they'd half-assed it on their first try then it would become clear that like oh they're trying to start a false rumor mill that'll that'll protect harry potter so um it needs needs to work the first time the cost of failure yeah yeah um before we move on with that, actually, I forgot you you pulled out one quote from Act Five or Act Six, um, which was when uh, um, uh, Reader Skeeter bumped into Professor Quirrell. Uh, I pull my, I, I can't remember what I did. I'll just um, I can just it was, was uh, it? it was when um, she had bumped into him and he was like, oh yes, uh, you know I'm the guy who did the hatchet job in the newspaper. You know, see my left arm. Oh, There's yeah. nothing there. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, 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 that's me. So, cause I think, and I guess it was Rita thinking that thought to herself. It was where she was saying, this is Quirinus Quirrell. Um, and so like she was, a, you know, this was her seeing the person she had been hearing about so much. And I guess as I read that, it made me think because he's, cause Quirrell is here talking to, um, Skeeter with a, like he's a acting, he's kind of, we're not fully clear on the details at this point as we're reading it but like he's he's not acting for selfish purposes he's not i guess i had forgot like oh we are have been supposed to be thinking that he is actually Voldemort. like that's the idea planted in our heads from the original book and we haven't really had anything yet to sort of like categorically you know cancel that thought out um that that's kind of still like the baseline that we're working from um, but like that's become so like that does not fit the vibe of how Quirrell um, is playing out so much that I'd like forgotten about it. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is not like if the way Quirrell behaves, if everything about Quirrell is, oh, he's actually Voldemort. And so all of his behavior has to be sort of interpreted through, OK, well, how does that fit with the Voldemort is Quirrell, Quirrell is Voldemort thing? Like none of this fits anymore. Like, OK, maybe so maybe we're just abandoning that idea entirely that he's actually Voldemort. Um, cause his actions here are, I think, I, I don't remember exactly because it gets confused as to what we do know or don't know at this point, but he's act, he's at least from what we know, well, as we're reading this, um, he's acting on Harry's behalf. Like this is for Harry's benefit, right? Is, um, he, is it about him? I guess we don't know what it is. But. Yeah. We don't, at least in that moment, we don't know what's going on, but yeah, no. I just, I, just from your one bullet point there, I was just curious what you were thinking. So. I don't want to. Yeah, I guess it, it. I guess it was like a double take because we've done such a good job. Like we've so kind of departed into this other quarrel that, but this was still like a a fixed departure point from the original story and like a conscious and important one. Like is you know quarrel is very very different, and I think we're still supposed to be aware of that. That this is another character. This is another direction that we're going in on purpose, and like. Like I got kind of like slapped back. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Like maybe we really have like are just completely abandoning 
that idea because um, he doesn't fit, that, like that didn't fit at all is like oh he's just this like you know wrapper around a Voldemort um, unless like we're unless we're just going to completely redefine what Voldemort is like if Voldemort gonna, is going to turn out to be a also an ambiguous character like Draco then hmm. who knows hmm he says in a way that makes it sound like he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen or like he's distracted reading the other notes <laughs> um, but oh totally listening I I was listening almost completely. I did get slightly distracted. But yes, no. Um, we'll, I guess, see where that goes. Um, and then, I should remember where we were, um, just to keep us more on, not too far out of... I, I know we... It's, it's confusing enough because, like, the acts are out of order, and then I keep pulling us back and forward, and um, so I'm just trying to keep our place, too. So Well, and so what we got, um, so as Harry's, like, talking with Fred and George about, like, okay, this is what I want you to do, but I don't want to know any, any of the details. And they, I guess we'll, we'll come back to the, the planning thing. But what he s- says to them is, um, you know, y- you do it, you, f- you figure it out, and I don't want to know the details. But by the way, here's a pile of money. I don't remember there was an actual pile involved. But, but no, that like, the, mo- the money he had borrowed from... From Draco, um, he just like hands over to them. He's like, "In here, spend this small fortune in order to get it done." And they go through a whole like, "Oh, we couldn't possibly take your money thing." Blah blah blah. But um, what it made me think, and I still think this is true that um, uh, because it sort of like serves his needs, that he didn't actually like at this point, and he still is the boy who lived. He's asking Fred and George, "Can you do this really cool thing that is a thing you would love to do anyway?" Um, for me and it may maybe is going to take a lot of resources so here's a bunch of money but he did not actually just as far as like logistics of what's going on he did not he needed to be a person that could fund all of their evil plots but he did not need to actually have cash on hand in that moment um, because he's the boy who lived he's good for it and they were also totally willing to you know give him the benefit of the doubt on that well, and so what it made me think, and that's, I don't think that's a pothole. I think that's on purpose that Harry borrowed that money um, to, intentionally to put himself in a position of uh, debt with not, not literal debt, but like so that Draco had done him a favor and Draco would feel like he had an obligation from Harry. I, I don't know why, but that's what it seemed like because it, it seemed like it was a pretense in order to get to put himself in a position of debt with Draco for some other purpose later, but the, like that was a manipulation on, on Harry's part. And, because, and I guess that's what, what, what it reminded me here. Cause at the point that he borrows it, we don't really know what it was for other than it has something to do with Rudis Keeter. And that now that we're seeing sort of the payoff to that, of uh, the literal payoff of, okay, this is what he had planned for the money. It's really, I think an intentionally stupid use of the, not stupid use, but like a, an unimportant way. Like if we put all that thought into like, okay, I need to be borrow a, you know, a big pile of money. And then for that whole thing to be just so that he can like hand over a pile of it to the um, Weasleys for their completely not yet come, you know, made plans about what they would do with it. Or even if they would need a pile of money. Um, I think it like purposely pointed out that like, he didn't really need a pile of money. He needed Draco to loan him a pile of money. That, that could be, I think there are a couple thoughts on that, I guess is that one, definitely like one way to get somebody to like you is to get them to do you favors. Yeah. Um, Another thing is that, like, he didn't know if this would need a budget or not. So he tells the Weasleys, like, give back whatever you don't spend. I trust you. Um, but you get to keep 10% no matter what. And, like, the Weasleys couldn't fund their own thing if it needed money because they're notoriously poor, right? Yeah. 
So well, yeah, but I mean, so all of that can still be true, and you still don't need a physical bag of all of the money right then and there. Well, like, unless, there unless you didn't this is need all to be Harry, borrowing a bunch of money like right away. Like unless that good. I was gonna say like unless this is Harry, like only he wants this to be his only interaction. He doesn't want them to come back and say, "All right, uh, so. we talked to our contact. We need forty galleons yeah. or something, right?" Um, so he's just gonna say, "All right, here's all this money up front. Go do stuff and give back the rest." Mm-hmm. Um, if he wants to keep his hands clean and not be any more involved, then he does kind of need all need it all up front. Yeah. But do um, we ever get? Because when you say forty galleons, because there's later, there is actually a reference to, and I think it was maybe forty galleons or forty something. Yeah, I think um, in the next chapter he says it was forty galleons. Is which that I'm trying all? To think. Do we have any specific number before that point? Did we have any specific number? Because my impression is that forty gallons is maybe you know a lot, but not like on a dear God, all of Draco's spending for the quarter. No, I, I mean, I think it is like, uh, I, I, I forget the exact conversions. I don't know if we've gotten it yet or if we have to just infer it from somewhere. I have in my head somewhere that it's like $2,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so that 40, so 40 galleons may have been the entire amount that, uh, that Harry gave them. I think so. Okay. Um, and, and then if that is all that he borrowed from Draco, that was Draco spending money for the year, yeah. which for an 11 year old who gets free food and boarding, like that's a lot of fucking money. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you're going to even adjust for inflation because of how the wizarding economy work economy works or whatever, but no, two thousand. Well, yeah. So two thousand dollars in the '90s was a lot, right? And it's a lot now to a kid. Um, I mean, even when I was a kid, you know, fifty bucks, I could buy a video game. I'd be set on, you know, that that'd be a weekend's worth of candy, food, and video games. And you know, it's so that's that was a mere fifty or sixty bucks. Two thousand dollars, I think, would be a mind blowing amount of money. Um, that's maybe like one of like the signs of entering adulthood, where like a thousand dollars goes for being does a like a lot of coke. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, we should save our tangent for how awesome magical drugs must be for another time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, uh, yeah, that's that's got to be a thing about just entering adulthood, like where like a thousand dollars stops being like this amazing amount of money, and more is just like, well, I guess that'll you know put a small dent in my debt or like can go into my, mm-hmm. my savings account or something. I remember like, I remember in college, like me and my friends would go, we'd go to the spaghetti factory. Um, and like, so we could get like a whole dinner for like five bucks or something. And, but we we're like all poor college students. So we'd be like going around, we'd be like splitting the check and be like, okay, there's my $7 in tip. Or did you tip enough? Did, what was the type? I'm like, so uh, $7. And I remember saying like in all seriousness, I'm like, someday we're going to be rich enough, rich enough that one of us can just be like, don't worry, guys. I got the check. <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely a different um, level All of, of life, spaghetti. right? All the spaghetti. As long as we're on that quick side note, I've never eaten at the spaghetti factory, even though I used to walk past it all the time from my old job years. because it sounds gross. Like, yeah, I guess it kind of does. It's very, it it like, sounds it sounds like an old factory where they where like they found spaghetti <laughs> there and they're selling it to you as food, Some or like a factory line where they assemble spaghetti. Extruding spaghetti. Yeah. So I mean. I, I'm sure it's great. I should try it's it. Pretty good. It's been a uh, long, long time since I've been there. But <laughs> that's good at the time. It was, it was, it was, it was good. Like for a college student to feel fancy on, I guess what would now be more like the equivalent of like ten dollars. But yeah, oh man, ten bucks. Um, I think so, of, like five of your friends, like be like, it's like a seventy dollar meal. You know, like, look at, look at this money guy bags. You got to be just like casually spring for you know, right? five friends. I know, right? Um, Oh, there was one last couple little things here, actually. And this actually might explain what was going on in part of Act 6, where Harry says, all right, cool. Well, thanks, guys. Um, 
Uh, oh, wait. Before, I guess before we get there, you had a thing that you pulled out about where the Weasleys are reflecting on oh, yeah. how hard yeah, as it I think was. so, like, after Harry left the music, I think they, yeah, they said they would do it, or I'm, I'm not sure. Or, yeah, they said they would do it, but, like, oh, okay, you have to sit here and think. And um, then he, he asked them to leave Quirrell out of it. Um, oh, yeah. You know, he's was like, I hate before? to get, I think it was before this, yeah. yeah. So he says, like, I hate to get in your way, but, you know, he doesn't like attention. Please leave Quirrell out of it. And then they go. They have like this little riff back and forth of like, okay, so we won't use Harry's money for the Quirrell stuff, but obviously we're going to do Quirrell stuff, right? <laughs> totally. And then that's where they make up things about like, oh yeah, he sucks at magic, and he's teaching us all the the wrong things. Mm-hmm. And we saw the Dark Mark once, and this, and this is and that. These are the things that they that they were thinking up that that Quirrell, the, and that's what Quirrell had confronted Rita Skeeter about. I think maybe yeah. yeah. Um, and then yeah, then they have this thing about uh, well like how they're going to beat Harry and how they have to be better than him. Yeah. And I think that was sort of like them, um, that they were trying, like figuring out, okay, what was it? They were like, sort of like them psyching themselves up for doing it. But like also as they were trying to think of, um, they were trying to think of like, okay, what, what would be the nature of what they would do? And, um, let me see, what did they say? This, um, and they're talking about like all the money that they have to do it. And like, maybe people will give discounts if they know it's for Harry, said George. But most importantly of all, whatever we do, it has to be impossible. Fred blinked. What do you mean impossible? So impossible that we don't get in trouble because no one believes we could have done it. So impossible that even Harry starts wondering. It has to be surreal. It has to make people doubt their own sanity. It has to be better than Harry. Um, and so Fred says, but why? And says, they were pranks. They were all pranks. The pie was a prank. The remember all was a prank. Kevin Entwile's cat was a prank. Snape was a prank. We're the best pranksters in, best pranksters in Hogwarts. Are we going to roll over and give up without a fight? Um, so I, I just like that, that it was like, A, it was like, they're just like raw, raw us thing, which just kind of works anyway. But I like that they're like, there's sort of their pride in craftsmanship of being the pranksters and that they're sort of like, no, pranks are our thing. Harry's not allowed to be better at it than us. So we have to step up our game. Um, yeah. So there's a like friendly competition about it. So I just like, and that's like when I called it out to myself, that was, that was really the reason it's just, I just sort of like, like the vibe of that. But then as I was um, thinking about it, it made me wonder like, what is it? Because I, I liked that sort of um, like, they're sort of like, no, we're, we're better than that. Or we've got to try harder. That landed that for it me, me too. Yeah, and it made me wonder, like, what the difference of that vibe is between, like, how is that different from Harry not being okay with losing and and feel like not being able to back down from something because he couldn't stand the idea of losing? That it is, it feels different. There's got to be there's there's something different to it. But it made me kind of like try to figure out like what is it about that that makes it feel that I don't know if it's just that like one's got kind of more of a a like working towards a positive rather than running from a negative vibe to it. I, I don't know that that's entirely it, but it just made me wonder like, okay, what, so that is sort of like the core of what is good about one and not, and not good about the other, but still not entirely clear, at least to me, like why, why do the, why do those feel different? Cause they do. Yeah, they do. And I, I'm trying to think of why too. I think you're onto something with like this being more of a positive thing rather yeah. than like Harry's kind of like Harry's, their their thing is like I want to win. Harry's thing is I don't want to lose. Yeah, and it's, um, it's like, and they both like like the word pride applies to both of them, but like one in a good way. Like one pride of like we want to do well, and but for Harry, it was just like his pride would be hurt if he lost. Yeah, they they want so, to do the best because they're the best at this, yeah. not because they don't want to look bad or something, right? They're yeah. just like, nope. And it's, fuck. yeah, even though it still has something to do with it, because it's not just entirely like of in and of themselves, like I am just a good prankster and that like, it's still important to Fred and George that like their pranks are well received. So like the opinions of others 
is still important. So that even that's not entirely it. Um, I don't know. I guess my, like maybe the with the more negative version, it's sort of like trying to avoid someone having a poor opinion of you. I guess as I, I don't know. Just as I'm like thinking through this, it's like like there's this sort of fundamental what at least to Harry feels like a lie, which is the lie is I am good enough for you to think as well of me as you do, which to him feels like a lie that he has to be constantly keeping up on. Um, and that the, I can't lose, you know, if I lose, then you're all going to realize that this is all just one big house of cards and it's all falling apart. Um, which is at least like that's, and that's sort of like the core vibe under any kind of like blustery bullshit that we do. Um, like, uh, like that, like that's like, I, I think I just like put a lot of words into describing like imposter syndrome. Um, but at least like with, with what Fred and George are doing, like, that's not it at all. It's more like, like we got to just got to show people what we are. Um, and yeah. I know, like there's not, um, yeah, one kind of has a, yeah, I guess maybe it's like one is sort of a belief in like, we got to show everybody how good we can be. And the other one is, oh, we get, we have to like keep people from finding out how good we're not. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. I think, um, like I'm having a hard hard time putting my finger on it too, but maybe it's wrapped up here really well at the end where it's just like they're cause like Fred's playing the doubter, George is playing the, the positive one. Mm-hmm. And then Fred's like, well, I don't know if we can, this is Harry Potter. We're talking about, he can do the impossible. We can't. And George's like, yes, we can. We can be more impossible than him. It's what Godric Gryffindor would do. That, <laughs> that settled it. I know. It's fun. I don't, it's like, I don't know. Sometimes it's just like, you, I guess you just can't overthink what charm is. But like, because there's something like silly and stupid about that statement. Like, it's what Godric Gryffindor would do, and like, and I think it's on purpose that that's silly and stupid. But there's something like appealing and charming about that. It's like, okay, then that's why. Yeah, and it and it works. I think it's it just speaks to them. It speaks like what we talked about, just to their their character. And you use the word charm. I think that fits it really well. So for victory, uh, yes, just cause. Well, they've got they've got a reputation to uphold, and they're not going to just roll over and let some let some new guy walk in and be the, become the best prankster, right? So. Yeah, I like. I was saying, it was like a good scene. It's like a lot of just kind of cool stuff shoved into a short amount of time. Yeah, and so then that's the end of the chapter. And like, just so like an order of what happens in all these acts, just because we kind of jumped around a bit, and so did the chapter on purpose. Like, so Act One was Harry's conversation with Dumbledore about how he was being tortured and what he did to Draco. Act Two was Harry's reflection on magic and where it comes from and its genetic markers and origins, and then. Uh, act three was Harry's Machiavellian conversation with Draco from the last chapter. Act four was him recruiting the Weasleys and how to squash Rita Skeeter. Act five was George and Fred sneaking out of Hogwarts to requisition, to requisition help from Flume. And then act six was Quirrell's interaction with Skeeter. So that was the order of events yeah. as like, they happened like chronologically. How, how Pulp Fiction was done all out of order. Yeah. And your, your brain reassembles it back in order. I can neither confirm nor deny that someone gets killed while taking a shit in this book. (laughs) (laughs) While taking a shit in the corner of their room. Because that's how wizards roll. Oh, God, yeah. Thanks, Rowling. We appreciate that. (laughs) All right. Chapter 24, Noticing Confusion. And I I think this is also the name of a less wrong post and the the core um, uh, message of, of that uh sentiment is that your strength as a rationalist is your ability to be more confused by fiction than by reality and that's what um since this whole thing is supposed to be like a really confusing thing for everybody that he's trying to flip the whole world upside or rather that the weasley twins are trying to flip the whole world upside down with um so yeah we're gonna figure out 
I guess what they what they did, if not necessarily how they did it. So, um, let's see. Oh yeah, so it opens up with uh, Quirrell's hilarious office hours of what was it like eleven forty to eleven fifty five on Thursdays. Uh, this is weird. this struck me. So yeah, it's it's eleven forty to eleven fifty five, um, and that. And he, he, so he like purposely made, he cost a quarrel point just to knock on the door. And if he didn't think your reason was worth his time, you would lose another 50. So yeah, that's funny. But it was like, A, I mean, like, okay, that, like, what kind of dick are you? It also seemed like weird that like such, for such a pro nerd book and pro learning, like maybe it's because like he doesn't like teachers, but like, it just seemed very like a weird way to sort of like villainize teaching um, like what, cause I guess we were supposed to think that was cool, but, um, yeah, I just like, I don't know. Maybe I, it's cause I, I had like a very positive experience with office hours and uh, with my college professors. It could be I that I, I took it less as like a, a, a blanket statement on teaching and more just on quarrel. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know. Like, yeah, it was weird. Cause like I, this hostility to students, it wasn't cause it wasn't, I don't know. I don't know if it was specifically, if it was just supposed to be, well, hostility in general. Um, but it seemed like. I don't know if it was like supposed to be characterized about like the learning because he's like, oh, they've come here with questions to like try to learn, but like, no, fuck you, leave. I was I was confused. I don't know. I well noticed that confusion. I guess that's the. <laughs> that's the thing there. Um, did, I, I don't know. Did you think it was maybe not supposed to be that it was just supposed to be kind of a general vibe about him as a person and not specific to the role as a teacher? I I just took it. I think to be kind of like I I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I, I guess I don't burn a lot of fuel on like what it was supposed to mean. I just like mm-hmm. so what I actually took from it was that sounds fucking hilarious. I'm not sure how many students there are in Hogwarts, but like I think a couple hundred. Mm-hmm. And he's saying all of you have 15 minutes of my week to bug me when we're not in class. And I think mm-hmm. like it's it's funny because like just to to me, like because Quirrell is clearly a very impassioned teacher. You know, he gave that rousing mm-hmm. speech on his first day, and he clearly gives a shit during all of his classes. So it's not that he doesn't care about teaching. Maybe it's just that he values his free time. Yeah, um, that was, I think that was what was puzzling to me was that it was like, yeah, I guess yeah. maybe this is being divorced from that, like office hours as a part of like teaching, not like oh your duties as a teacher, but like office hours is like when a kid that's actually interested in your subject wants to come to ask you specific questions on a one-on-one level like that's this like super hyper teaching kind of moments i don't know it just just struck me as weird it is interesting you're right because you think like if a a student you know a sixth or seventh year who wants to come to him and be like hey i'm really curious about this aspect of of battle magic you think you'd be like all right my young apprentice let me teach you about this thing yeah i'd be like i'll psych that somebody like really wants to know yeah i guess it just more struck me struck me as strange because this is such a pro learning book yeah. That it was weird to have like that put in there. Like, I, I get the impression change. that the other teachers probably have better office hours. Um, I, I just took it like maybe Quirrell playing up his aura of evil, like like you know, I'm a scary guy, don't bug me kind of thing. Mm. Um, it you know now that you've kind of forced me to analyze it, it could be that Quirrell is really busy in his downtime, um, and that he, <laughs> I mean that maybe that's it. So I don't know something yeah, like that, right. but. Um, anyway, Harry goes to bug him during office hours, and uh, um, what was that line that you pulled that was uh, about like kind of how the, the vibe in the room? Um, oh, yeah, it was actually it was just really well written. He says, uh, so uh, yeah, when he walks in, he says, a cold chill seeped from the room as though it contained something that cast darkness the way lamps cast light and which hadn't been fully shaded. You know, I don't even know if it was important. It was, it was just a cool line. It's good writing. Like yeah, it. I like I know, it. It's it, good. Like you get you get a vibe for the room right away. It's like mm-hmm. okay, yeah, it's kind of dark and cold. Like not necessarily physically, just like it is. Yeah. And it reminded me of the uh, 
I think it was like from the very beginning of the first book, Dumbledore's little, uh, it's like a, a, uh, lighter, but it sucks light. <laughs> right. And, like flick it and it like grabs lights. So. His deluminator or something. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Anyway. Um, it seems like having a lighter to do that for you when he could probably just cast a spell or better yet become fucking invisible. Um, but <laughs> I guess the lighter was a fun toy. So, um, let's see. Uh, Oh yeah, so basically the room feels that way because Quirrell's in a bad mood, and mm-hmm. uh, he's he's in a bad mood because apparently some dipshit sixth year Gryffindor used a curse on a sixth year Slytherin without knowing what it did and almost killed him. And I put in the notes, take that canonical Harry. I didn't pick. I didn't get that at all. You're totally right. So, yeah, that's uh, what was the curse? That was when Harry cast uh, Sectum Sempra. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was that was the curse that cut Draco from like face to you know to the bottom of his chest yeah. or something, and. I, if I remember correctly, it like it wasn't just a cut where it's like, oh, magic, we're better. I think like it showed uh, like Draco passed out from blood loss and like Snape like stitching it with his wand, but like it was gonna scar. Like he he fucked him up, um, which is kind of uh, you know funny, I guess. Um, <laughs> so sorry to funny. All right, now I'm gonna this this is the first of my weird little rants. I'm just going to say the outset people got upset i am not saying quarrel wants to fuck harry i'm just saying the person that writes this stuff gets off in a very particular and not at all wrong way that is showing in his writing i will gently challenge you on it but i will i will grant you when they come up that some of the language might indicate that this, as actually, in my opinion, isn't an example of that. So why don't you read the passage, so then we can then so I can it's, tell it's you when, you're wrong. When uh, so Harry comes in, Quirrell's in a really bad mood. Um, Professor Quirrell slammed the book shut, and it vanished with a small whispering sound. He looked up then, and Harry flinched. I suppose an intelligent conversation would be pleasant for me at this point," said Professor Quirrell, in the same biting tone that had invited Harry to enter. "You are not likely to find it so. Be warned, or you are not likely to find it so. Be warned." Harry drew a deep breath. I promise I won't mind if you snap at me. What happened? All right, maybe you probably did. I'm guessing Enios probably didn't read it like that. But that is just a weird, like, oh, like, oh, you're angry, completely inappropriately at me and overly aggressive. And please, sir, you can talk to me and and reveal your intimacies in an inappropriate student-teacher relationship. Yeah. Yeah, see, I, I think so, you're reading way too much totally, into that. I, I very clearly am reading way too much into it. It's, it's not in the story. I'm not saying that's going to be there. I'm just saying that's an interaction that is not the way most people would characterize it. No, it's not the way most people would do it. Yeah. What I like about it is, like, I could imagine that happening between me and Inyash, right? We're going to keep bringing him up because, you know, he does the audiobook and we both know him. But I could go over to his house, and if he's in a bad mood, I could imagine the same thing happening. Where he's like, look, I'm, I'm having a shit day. I don't want to hang out. And I'd be like, you can talk about it, man. And he's like, no, nah, I'm going to be pissy. I'm like, you can be pissy. That's fine. Because we're friends. I think that's what this is stressing. Well, that's like, like yeah, Harry, but, Harry's... but there's like such a, a power differential here, I think, which is sort of core to the whole, like the, the power differential is kind of the recurring theme. There's a weird bondage, like 50 Shades of Grey thing going on, which is like all sounds perfectly reasonable this first time. And then let's return to this. All right, we'll return. We'll return later. to it. We won't spend too much time on it. So, um, he's expl- he goes. He explains about the sixth year Gryffindor and what happened there. And then, um, like you mentioned, Harry's taking notes that 
he didn't know what the he's like the sixth year Gryffindor didn't know what the spell did, um, and he's like, well, why, you know, why would you bother to ask that? The, the sixth year Gryffindor didn't think it was important, and <laughs> he's like, no. So Harry says, are you serious? And then Quirrell says, no. I'm in a terrible mood for no particular reason. <laughs> yes, I'm serious, you fool. He didn't know. He actually didn't. The Aurors confirmed it under Veritas serum. He's in his sixth year at Hogwarts, and he cast a high-level dark curse without knowing what it did. And then Harry's kind of uh, academically trying to figure out, like, what do you mean? I just falsified with Hermione that you can't cast spells that you don't know what they did. Mm-hmm. And so he's Harry says to Quirrell, he says, you don't mean that he was mistaken about what it did or he read the wrong spell description. And he says, all he knew that it was meant to be directed at an enemy. He knew that's all that he knew. Um so he says, oh, so that, that was enough to cast the spell. Interesting. He just kind of gets Josh that down. His, yeah. This is how yeah, magic works. And I works reading him like, oh, Harry's like, like not even paying it. Like he's, he latched onto the significance of like what that means about how spells work. And so he's like, what I said is like, oh, he's taking notes right now. Yeah. And then, then Harry confirms his guess that this is a, a muggle-born sixth year. And he explains like, all right, look, Coral, if, if you want this to like stop happening, we should give. Larry Blotter. Of Gryffindor, what's, what's, what's that? One Larry Blotter, a sixth year in Gryffindor. Is that the kid's name? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, what, what's Larry Blotter? The reference is lost on me. Harry Potter. Larry oh. Blotter. Oh, okay, yeah. I missed it. Maybe it didn't come through <laughs> on the mic. That's that's on me. Um, anyway, he's trying to convince Coral that, like, we should have, like, a here's how not to hurt people, like, you know, basics lecture for Muggleborns and... Um, there was like the line, you know, like don't, uh, I guess what was the long list? It was like, um, yeah, it was like a mix of like things that actually made sense and silly things. Yeah. Don't cast curses. If you don't know what they do, don't just, if you discover something dangerous, don't tell the world about it. Don't brew high level potions without supervision in a bathroom. The reason why there's underage magic laws and all those safety basics. Um, I, and that also there's two things, but like the first, that thing about like, don't reveal what what were the exact words for it, but like, don't reveal something if you if you discover something dangerous. I like I highlighted that one again because I'm still not clear. Like, does he really like? And by, I guess Yudkowsky does. Does Yudkowsky think that that's really like a like a tenable approach to managing danger? Is like only let the smart people know about it. The smart and the I guess the trusted powerful. I mean, certainly. Tr- yeah, I mean, does it, does it? Isn't that like very stupidly obvious? Like how that one plays out. Well, I guess not to me. Maybe I'm. The, we'll just let the the trusted like you know the senator palpatines of the world decide which things we should be you know are safe enough for the world to know i mean that is not with the palpatine exactly but i mean that is the interdict of merlin right so that that is sort of how the world works in this universe where it's like yeah high, yeah and high I, level what i guess what i'm wondering is like does because this idea has been brought up a few times is like does are we like really supposed to think that like on any large level like that's a an approach that can ever work towards like managing dangerous technology or anything like oh well just like because the process of deciding who's like smart and safe enough to let the knowledge be passed to is something that you could like either determine in any kind of reliable way or be able to like enforce and manage I could just see, like, to me, is I'm like, I don't even know, like, why I'm, like, needing to terribly, like, articulate the thought. It just seems, like, dumb. Like, once that, like, the information is going to leak, you can't stop that from happening. And, like, trying to manage, like, the direction in which things leak seems like a really not. 
Well, in this universe, you can manage information leak, right? I guess so. I, what makes it, like it keeps being brought up enough that I, I'm like I'm wondering like does does he really think that that's like could that like that could work in the real world? I'm not sure if we're supposed to read that the author thinks that could work or if that's just or if it's just desirable. Like, yeah. uh, did you read the thing a couple weeks ago about uh, this small company in Australia that built uh, like face recognition? Um, that pulls from all public available images of a person mm-hmm. and then uh, will cross-reference that with pu- other pu- like So it'll identify the person from their face and then cross-reference it with all the other publicly inf- uh, available information about that person, like where they live, their voting registry, all the stuff you can get on, like, on a cursory Google search. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting because like doing that, when it, so my wife found this and was telling me about it, and like... F- over two weeks and not knowing Swift, the language you write, you write iPhone apps in, I was able to write an app that um, used Amazon's uh, recognition API where you can take a picture of stuff mm-hmm. and it'll give you like a confidence interval of like, I'm 80% sure that's a stapler, 90% sure that's a computer, etc. Mm-hmm. And it there's a separate API for faces. And so it can point out faces in the crowd and it had celebrity recognition. Um, <laughs> this is all stuff for free that you can, anyone who has a, an account with AWS can do for fun, for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, when she was telling me about this, I, I being an, uh, an elementary programmer, can understand everything it takes to get this done, and it's not that hard. Um, mm. it, it, like, this is basically uh, just a few well-organized API calls, and you're getting... So basically, you can sit on the bus or on the train to work, and you see a hot girl, and you're some creeper, you snap a picture, um, and suddenly you know where she lives, you know all of her Facebook and Twitter accounts and all this mm-hmm. and that. Um, and the, so this actually raises like an actual question, like, should this be out there? Um, well, yeah, I mean, so, and those are like all totally serious problems. And, but so that's the difference between should that the information, like the, should the facts like that girl's address and the profile of what her face looks like that enables like the facial recognition to pull it down. Should those things be publicly disclosed? That's one thing, but the, okay, so we have this problem, the, it is in no way a helpful solution. It, it is an approach people could could try, but the, okay, let's make sure that facial recognition technology is only shared between the nerds that work for Amazon and the nerds that work for Google and the nerds that work for Facebook. And they will all decide or some like duly, but if like duly appointed would be the shareholders of Facebook would decide who is authorized to decide who that should be shared with and what things should be shared. And that'll never fall apart. And like, even if like you did go to that whole ridiculous effort, like, do you really think that would stop? Like, the that the all you would do is sort of like cause speed bumps in the road for that technology. Like, you're not like actually solving the problem or helping anything. And you're having this like huge. So there's like the naive idea that, like, oh, we should you know not let this technology just be irresponsibly like propagated out everywhere. That sounds good, but your solution can't be like this, like thoroughly flawed process of having some, like really vaguely defined council of elders trying to manage how the information shared. So there's like facts. You can you come up with policies and, and stuff around, you know, how what facts are allowed to be out there, like are people's addresses or their faces or their blah blah blah. But somehow trying to say like, okay, some guy, you know, has started to develop facial recognition technology. Um, let's make sure nobody else finds out about that or let's make sure that only people on the approved list are the ones that find out about it. Like that's not going to solve any problem. And that just like the people that are making that decision about who does and doesn't find out, that turns into the whole like complete weird political clusterfuck. And so, and all of that just seems like, like that's where I keep wondering, like 
all of that seems to like flow fairly like logically. Like that it doesn't seem like anything I just said is a terribly controversial idea. Um, and that's why I kept, I'm like, he doesn't really think this, does he? Because, or I may be misunderstanding what he thinks. Because, so, yeah, there's, there are all those problems that we, <clears throat> like, we nearly killed all of humanity with nuclear weapons. But it wasn't like there was some day that, like, Oppenheimer said, aha, and today I invented the nuclear weapon. There's, like, all of these weird incremental tiny little discoveries that happen along the way, not, no single one of which is responsible for much of anything. And, yeah, you can see while you're halfway down that road where it is starting to head. <clears throat> but there is no, like, one tiny little, like, you know, nuclear weapon spell that gets invented that you could just decide to write down on a piece of paper and lock into a box and make sure only the right people get to see it. <laughs> like, you can't. Uh, and the act of trying to manage that it gets all kinds of fucked up. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, it's a problem, but, like, that can't, that's not a way to solve it. I think, that's what I keep wondering. He's like, is that what he's saying? Because, I mean, that part seems like, okay, that, that can't be what he's saying because that's a silly idea. So, like, I think part of it... um and I, I can't speculate too much in the exact the author's exact thoughts, but I do know that in that same article, um, it was uh, there was a quote from like a former exec at Google that said, "Yeah, we looked at being able to do this like five years ago, and then decided to pump the brakes on it because we thought this could be easily misused. So we had this stuff ready in like 2014 or 15, and then we were like, "Wait, this is a really bad idea, right? Let's not put this out there." Um, and yes, all that does is put a a speed bump in the road. But it did slow its release down by like five years. Um, so, yeah, I guess. But I mean, so it doesn't solve the problem, and it leaves like the and it leaves the problem unsolved. And what did they do? They left it to Facebook or to this guy, <laughs> to right? The, yeah, the, 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 the small yeah, company. The, so so the, yeah, it didn't keep it from happening. And like, and all those guys, like the guys that developed that, like just get poached and go work for somewhere else and share all that information. Like you can't keep it. You can slow that technology down, but you can't stop it. And then you've completely like, there's like no handle at all on where it's going because you've, you've made this like completely failed attempt to just try to like shut it down or control it. And that doesn't happen. So then it just kind of like goes all over the place in a totally like unintended way. Like nobody said like, oh, okay, this is too dangerous. So let's make sure that we, you know, close up this project so that three years later Facebook can do it because they're much more responsible. Like nobody's <laughs> making that decision. Like it's all fucked up. Like any kind of decision around that is all fucked up. And, I know that and it's like always going to be fucked up. Like I mean, that's politics. Like you're not going to get any like great outcome that way. So like, got to like come up with some way that doesn't like rely on you know the good management and good intentions of you know the people wearing ties. Well, and so solving that that is a hard problem to solve. But the one way to not solve it is just to tell everyone every scary thing that you can do, or to share that's all true. scary knowledge, right? So like while letting it be up to tie wearing bureaucrats in the Senate. Uh, while it's while letting them decide is not an optimal solution, publishing this app on the app store is probably the wrong way to go about solving it too, right? Yeah, I guess so, something like neither so of those are great, so we like can't think about it as like oh that. We'll, well one is clearly worse it. than the other, right? Like, at, at the very least, if we let it get held up in government for ten years while they sit there and try and figure out how to unlock their iPhones, um, <laughs> then while it shouldn't be available on the app store, right? I, I'm prepared to say that. I feel like this is sort of like a level of of um, and currently, the app's not. It's the the guy sells it as a uh, as a subscription service to police departments. Um, so, like, yeah, but that's I mean, but like, say that like right now. So yeah, you were able to do that fairly quickly. Like, a great number of people like not to like call us like you and I like super intelligent people, but like if we decided that 
okay, it's going to become our little sixth month personal Manhattan project to go to figure out how to, you know, not invent facial recognition technology, but like make some like really shitty exploitation of it in a, in a way more advanced way than just randomly hacking somebody's API together. We could come up with something just based on the stuff that we can Google. Um, and that's just true like that. You can't, you can't stop that. And not that it's good that it's all out there or that we should be like handing it all out, but like that seems like trying to manage who does and does not know the things is it just seems like a really shitty way to try to solve that problem it it might be shitty but i think it's better than just saying go forth and tell all your friends well yeah but yeah. It, you know that, so so that that's that's all harry's those two choices here. that's what i and i mean yeah there's more than those two choices but it seems like that like that's so not a tenable solution so it's not like oh then that means just tell all the people but like that's not just such like not a possible solution that it seems like there need to be thinking about some other way to deal with it yeah and i guess it's not like oh therefore we tell everybody everything but like oh trying to put a you know it's not that like oh because you can't do it that way then we should just you know take all the locks off of everything um but also like that you know that's not gonna solve it yeah so i guess to be fair and to bring it back to only harry's uh like the only thing harry is saying is the equivalent of don't publish that app on the app store um He's not saying I've got the solution and it's this. Uh, he's just saying publishing it on the app store is a really bad idea. So um, to that extent, if you discover something dangerous, don't tell the world about it. Is that I think that's more what he's saying. Yeah, I guess it, this comes up. But to me, it seems like that's so like it's hardly going to do anything. So why are you even like talking about that? So, yeah, no, not like like try to encourage everything getting put out there. But he's like because it's been brought up like several times. Like, oh, do you really think that's going to like move the needle at all because it's not I mean, maybe slow things down a little bit not really sometimes that's all you can ask for but again that we haven't right. if they're if they're going to cover that in the story or maybe the author does in other places who knows but um this horse is dead yeah yeah my arm is tired <laughs> so <laughs> um let's see so yeah harry or like what i like about that interaction too is then like coral tortures that inkwell to death like it catches fire in his that hands kind of cool and voice. like it, it twists and like basically tries to scream like it like it looks like it's trying to scream um tiny tiny droplets of burning metal are dripping over quarrel's hands and it was just like badass i know yeah it sounded really it was, I, I could picture it like that that would have worked well as like a movie visual yeah it was just like looking really intimidating yeah i'm picturing it it paints a good picture for sure yeah. especially uh, because like it's like all melting and whatever but that also like puts it in his hand like not you know, he's not hurt at all while he's basically torturing an inanimate object. Yeah. So, yeah, it's badass. Totally. And then he points out that, you know, you're not running away, observed Professor Quirrell. And Harry opened his mouth and Quirrell says, if you're about to say you're not scared of me, don't. And then Harry says, you're the scariest person I know. And one of your top reasons for that is your control. I simply cannot imagine hearing you'd hurt somebody and not made a deliberate effort that you had not made a deliberate deliberate, uh, decision to hurt. Thank you, sir. May I have another? (laughs) Like, come on! Like, I, you know, I don't judge whatever, but like, you just, you're just in denial if you don't think there's something there. I think that's like complimenting somebody on their marksmanship, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Maybe, uh-huh. maybe I am wearing these nice rose-colored glasses where there's no sexual innuendo between this adult and this I, child. I don't. Th- that's see that that's where I think people are getting hung up. I'm not saying that there's something sexual going on here. I'm saying that Yudkowsky gets off on this weird power stuff and he accidentally slipped it into this like student teacher thing which he did not intend to and he's not trying to plan any kind of sexy sexy thing here it's just like he accidentally wrote in a character interaction that gets him off 
and he can't help but start like writing it sexy sexy well it gets me off that's, too that's all that's, i can say you know we'll, we'll push past it not not necessarily what you're implying gets me off the the badassness of this gets me it off, is pretty right? badass too. yeah so um I, I think i mentioned this in the last episode so uh, well i guess we'll get there so um harry explains that he's there because hey i finished the preliminary occlumency training and i'm ready to hire a tutor and Quirrell's like, oh, cool, we can make a day of it. Let's go to Hogsmeade on Sunday, and or not to Hogsmeade, to uh, Diagon Alley, and we'll, we'll uh, talk to somebody at Gringotts and get you get y'all hooked up. Um, and then when uh, he was leaving, you know, Quirrell seemed in a better mood and was even humming a small tune. And you said that was a good tie-in. I forgot the, what that was a tie-in to. The, uh, he was humming a small tune as he walked away from Rita Skeeter. So oh, it yeah. A, it was a way of like reminding us that, like, oh, that I get it was just sort of like a way of telling us, like, ooh, each of these acts has tied in one to the other. Okay, yeah. I knew that there was humming recently, and I, it yeah. just, I, I missed and it. And it was so. the way that he ended each of those scenes. The scene ended with, with and then Quirrell walked away humming. So, yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. It was also because so, it was just kind of subtle. And, yeah. And then Harry was glad he'd been able to cheer him up, um, which is a nice little upbeat way to end. And then there's a page break, and then it's Sunday morning. And there's like people whispering and pointing at Harry and giggling and uh, people passing around like copies of the Daily Prophet because there aren't that many because what kids get a newspaper delivered. So there's only a handful in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and Harry, what I love about this is like there are parts where like when he's kind of being harsh with people like, no, don't spoil it. No, shut up. Um, that I resonate really strongly with me because up to Infinity War, um, I had gone all the way from... What was the movie that came out before that? I think it was Ragnarok. Yes. Um, so what, November all the way to April or May when that movie came out? I made it that whole way without ever seeing the poster for Infinity War. Like, I went in completely spoiler-free. And I did it by doing basically what he does for six months. And it was actually kind of fun. Like, I made a game of it. Like, <laughs> I, I, I got good at averting my eyes as other movie theaters to see other things. I stopped watching movie trailers. I put up blockers on uh, YouTube so, like, it would hide suggestions with, like, the word Avengers in it. <laughs> uh, same thing with Reddit. Um, when people, like, when we were talking about the movies or something and someone would be like, oh, did you see this in the trailer? I'd be like, oh, sorry, I'm going to leave. You guys have fun. Um, so I, I did exactly <laughs> the same thing. And this, 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 uh, this felt with me so... Uh, this landed with me so well. So um, basically Harry makes it all the way out of the Hogwarts at, a, at 10 a.m. when he still hadn't uh, been able to get his hands on the papers. So they take a carriage. That wasn't out. on purpose though, was it? It was just that he's like, I don't want to, you know, if I, I don't want to hear like bits and pieces of this. So if I'm not gonna be able to hear the whole thing, then I'm just not going to be, be irritated by it. Yeah, exactly. He didn't want spoilers. Yeah. Well, it, was, it wasn't that he like wanted to avoid hearing anything about it. He just didn't want like... He's like, I don't want to hear this like in little bits and pieces. I know it was, at least I didn't get the impression like he didn't, that he was like trying to avoid it like in a spoiler sense. It was just that like, I don't want to be bothered to try to engage this thought until I can actually get the whole story. It's, I think it, you're right. That I'm, that way, I'm, I'm like, not, oh, like spoilers is probably a thing. I, I might be, I might be anchored on my whole like spoiler tie-in because that identified with me. But in my defense, there's a line here that says Harry was feeling rather curious, but it really wouldn't have done to spoil the artistry oh, yeah. by hearing about it secondhand. So it'd be like someone describing the movie and instead of me getting sure. to see it. So you still get to see it later, but then like you get, uh, you don't, you know, it's not revealed to you in the way that you want it to be revealed gotcha. to you. So, right. Yeah. Actually, as you're saying, I'm like, Oh, like framing this as spoilers. Totally. Fit. Yay. Yeah. One for Steven. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so they take a, a carriage outside the wards and professor Quirrell flips him a cannot. And then he gets, 
like yanked and um it was basically they were port keyed or he was port keyed mm-hmm. and i think professor quirrell operates because he gets the pop arrival yeah. um I, and I, think, I just like the just the whole set. I don't know why, but something like, okay, they have to take a carriage to get outside the grounds and then they port key over. Something I liked about like walking through the mechanics of how this stuff works. I think maybe we didn't. We rarely ever talk about that stuff except in like in passing with like just the people coming and going to Hogwarts. We don't, yeah, I know that I in think, the canon. Like, like you operating and all that kind of stuff is only ever brought up when it's like plot relevant. Right. And like I remember even when they were learning, they like took the, the anti-apparition powers off of like one room of hogwarts for them to practice in um so yeah you're not supposed to be able to teleport i guess on on castle grounds what i also like about that little line about where it's like excuse me what said his brain we just teleported (laughs) explained harry that didn't used to happen in the ancestral environment harry's brain complained and disoriented him um i think this is something very like never saw this in like rowling's writing where he'll sort of get this super casual phrasing with stuff very almost, almost, I don't want to know. So there's something very internet y chat room conversation ish about, I don't know, just like the, the tone and the pacing and stuff. It's kind of cool. Like, it'll be these like quick little, you know, drop ins to this kind of way of talking and then kind of going back to something more traditional. Yeah, totally. And um, I think I mentioned this last episode and we talked about this chapter because we kind of, we, we, oh, well, we didn't talk about this chapter in the last episode. I accidentally episode. talked about this chapter because I know you, you talked about the previous one. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. So maybe I didn't tell the story on this this podcast. I know I told it recently, but I, I was in a car crash in like 2013. Um, and my brain did the exact same thing. Like I was hit from behind at like 40 miles an hour. And like I looked up and I didn't know exactly where I was. And I had this exact conversation basically with my brain. I'm like, wait, just what just happened? Like, oh, that must be what a car accident feels like. Um, <laughs> and I, I looked up and I'm facing the wrong way on the other side of the road. And... Uh, I was fine. The other guy was fine. It all worked out, but, um, it, I, I just liked it cause I had the exact same thing happen and it wasn't with me. It was kind of like being teleported. Um, and it was kind of like being yanked around the middle. I just was slammed and then was suddenly somewhere else. That's kind of the feeling. My, my daughter got to be in her first earthquake back when we were in uh, Los Angeles for the summer. Uh, I'm from LA, my, so visiting my family over the summer and it was, there was like a big earthquake in like Vegas or something. Uh, but it hit most of Southern California. And so we, and we were by a pool and so it was cool, like, if you've ever been in an earthquake near a pool, you can see the earthquake in the pool. That part's really cool. And then, like, all the water sloshing back, sloshing back and forth. But, like, there's this, like, it is, like, your brain doesn't register, like, this isn't how the world works. And I don't know how to interpret this input. Because you're standing on ground, and, like, all of your instinct is all, like, you know, I am on ground. I am on the earth. And, but then it feels like you're standing on a table that's shaking. And so it's these like completely disconnected feelings. Like you just don't like your brain doesn't know how to interpret this information. Like I am definitely on the ground and things are definitely moving. And neither of these two things are supposed to be happening at the same time. That's awesome. I've never been in an earthquake. I imagine they'd be fun under the exact right circumstances. And they're mostly a non-event. I guess until they're not. (laughs) Until they're not. (laughs) Until they, until they tip over the scale to being an event. Um, So yeah, they get there. Coral says, I have to go set something in motion. Um, as it's been thoroughly explained to me, I'm responsible for anything that happens to you. So I'll be leaving you and Harry's like newsstand. I want to go where I can buy the daily profit. And mm-hmm. he gets to go buy one. Um, and the, the headline, Harry Potter secretly betrothed to Genereva Weasley. Is that I call that out. Is that her real name in the book? I think so. They just never talk about it. I am. I'm 90% sure that shows up in the original version. At least it didn't strike me as... Uh, I guess because, well, Ginny is always just short for Virginia, so... 
just the yeah. acronym. I mean, it's a cool name. Ron's name is Ronald, I'm guessing, you know, it's whatever it is. <laughs> no, Ronald's name would be something like, you know, Ronald Dolphus or something. Oh, yeah. It's it'd, be, some, it'd be something wizardy. Yeah, good point. Um, is that like Guinevere? Minerva sounds like Ginerva. Maybe that's why that sounds so congruous to me. But in any case, yeah, Ginny, Ginny, Ginerva. Um, so he's Harry's finally gets to read it, and we don't get like the full text of it. I'm guessing because it's a few pages in the yeah. in the Daily Prophet or something. Almost a Daily Planet. Um, <laughs> so, like, there's evidence that had convinced Skeeter, and details, and more evidence, and um, like all this stuff about. Or, yeah, so we could talk as much as you want about what it actually contains and all this and that. I so guess I'll, I was I'll like, I was just confused. It didn't, I just didn't understand because they were talking about that. And I think this is maybe in a little bit because then Quirrell comes like, what the hell are you reading? And then Quirrell reads it like, what the fuck is this? Um, yeah, that because uh, then Harry says like, Miss Skeeter viewed the original proceedings of the restric- restricted Wizengamot session. And I like, and I know like the Wizengamot is their like Senate or the, you know, it's their high council blah 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 but i didn't like and it sounds like that had something to do with the mayor like the wedding certificate or something that's i wasn't clear on like oh he saw this she saw this thing that's very clear proof that it happened but i could i didn't even get the just the logistics of what we were talking about i see yeah so i think um i i'm picturing the restricted session of the wisdom gamut being like a closed senate session senate hearing or something where like only members are supposed to be able to hear it um Mm -hmm. But that, so present. what what was at this Wizengamot session that Mosquito would have heard that what had anything to do with Harry being engaged? Oh yeah, good point. It's I think it we That's we never get the full point. digest here. Like something to do with some of the evidence, whether it's like um, so like the full uh, the the short version of like what the the thing was was like um, there was some life debt created between, uh, Arnold Weasley or Arnold, Arthur Weasley and, um, James Potter mm-hmm. and Arthur wanted 10,000 ga- galleons and, uh, he would promise the hand of his first daughter in marriage oh, to so it was like some kind of trial, like some kind of like they're suing each other kind of court something in the whiz gamut about the thing between Arthur and James. So, yeah. I think okay. that's what she's supposed to have yeah, seen. I didn't pick up on that. Okay. Um, so, well, interestingly, how was she supposed to have seen that if that was 10 years ago? So she must have seen something else. Like maybe this just came back to light or something. As, or you she know, saw the original proceedings, out. viewed the original proceedings. Oh, yeah. I, I guess when I when I read that, I was thinking like, oh, she saw the original document, but no, it's the original proceedings so that she was actually there. You'd think, though, if this, if this happened, you know, before James Potter died, this was 11 plus years ago, mm-hmm. um, that she would have seen this that this would have been news back then, but yeah. I don't know. Um, and we are going to get payoff later, I hope, about how this was pulled off. I'm going to be really disappointed if we're just left with this. That'd be pretty disappointing. Um, yeah. I want, um, I, want, I want to see the whole big plot. Yeah. And then I like, um, so Coral's explaining that like, uh, he's like, I would have trouble viewing the original proceedings. And he's, Harry's like, really? Because if my suspicions are correct, this was done by a Hogwarts student. <laughs> that is beyond impossible. Beyond impossible. <laughs> Mr. Potter, I regret to say this young lady expects to marry you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you, when I read that, that is beyond impossible, my originally, uh, or immediately popped in my head. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. Yeah, I don't then think that means what you think it means. The word unimaginable is in parentheses later, or in uh, italics later. Maybe that's him holding himself back from saying inconceivable. Um, 
So yeah, and Harry is like, so yeah. I guess it was said that it was like to settle some debt between James Potter and Arthur Weasley. They gave his daughter away, and Harry was like, "Is that? Excuse me, I really have to ask at this point. Do people actually do that sort of thing around here?" Right. The girl's like, "Eh, not much." Yeah, it it happens, but not much. Um, Harry had that quote from Douglas Adams that. I like that quote. Yeah, you go ahead. Uh, Why did I get? So, yeah, because he says, like, oh, that's completely impossible. And now I lost where I had the quote. It was, uh, uh, the, the impossible often has a kind of integrity, which the merely improbable lacks. <laughs> integrity. Um, I've only read short stories by Douglas Adams, and I've never, like, I, I, I should just, you know, find the I read, like, short time to what, read. Like three for the, like the, I can't even remember what the hell they're called. Hitchhikers. Uh, Hitchhikers, right? yeah. It was like, I read those, like, forever ago. They're kind of like, I don't know, they probably don't wear well. I mean, they might be wanky. I know, like, I know, I'm familiar enough with his writing style just to know yeah. that, like, it is, like, I, I, at some point, somehow without reading any of his books, I was familiar enough with his writing style that someone mentioned a quote, and I was like, is that Douglas Adams? And they're like, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, I got that somehow without, without reading any of his books yet, but I, I owe it to myself and to him, I think, to actually read them. Um, so, let's see. Um, oh, yes. Then, like... Oh yeah, so at this point it's just like kind of Q and A with um, uh, Quirrell and Harry, and then he's just like, "All right, fine, give me that newspaper," and he he, he magics it out of his hands, yeah. and and he goes all like Jedi on it, it's like holding it in front of him and levitating pages across so he can read it. And then there was more and more badass. Yeah, there was the line somewhere the like, it was like he had thrown off all pretense of of mortality and mm-hmm. like in a in a uh, like disconcertingly short time he had finished reading it and handed it back to him mm-hmm. um so i forget what oh it was yeah um what was the exact phrasing uh oh after a troublingly short time that's what it yeah. was but yeah i think it's a great i don't know enough. if it's for me because even as an english major i read like stupidly slow which is irritating as fuck me too so <laughs> a really great way at least for me to make characters seem really intimidating is having them able to read like really fast and like comprehend it all immediately Maybe that's what they're going that's for. Some sort of like superpower. Yeah. So maybe that's that's what Yukaski was going for, and it landed really well with Quirrell. It definitely makes him seem like a total badass. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he, then Quirrell's like, you know, guessing about it and trying to to think about how it goes. And this is where we get the number of like he says, "Do you have any idea how it was done?" He's like, "I do not have one single hypothesis. I do know it was done on a total budget of forty galleons." Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he's like, no, fuck that. Forty galleons will pay a, a ward breaker to pa- to open the path to a home you wish to burglarize. Forty thousand might pay a team of the greatest professional criminals in the world to tamper with the proceedings of the wizard god. Um, and Harry's like, cool. I remember that next time I need to save thirty nine thousand nine hundred and sixty mm-hmm. galleons by finding the right contractor. And uh, Quirrell asks who the um, uh, Hogwarts student was, and th- uh, he's like, oh, I can't say. And Quirrell didn't object, and then they Harry gives the that parable of the uh, um, the hot plate in the physics classroom, and I think that that's a fun one. This one that also shows up in the original essay with this name. Um, yeah, this is the part. Is that is this specifically from? This is this is uh, not a, a Yudkowsky original. He's talking about a. Well, we should talk about it, and I'll read it real quick because it's. Um, your strength as a rationalist is your ability to be more confused by fiction than by reality, said Harry. If you're equally good at explaining any outcome, you have zero knowledge. The students thought they could use the words like, oh, wait, I skipped it. Um, 
The students thought they could use words like because of heat condition to explain anything, even a metal plate being cooler on the side nearer the fire. So they didn't notice how confused they were, and that meant they couldn't be more confused by falsehood than by truth. If you tell me that, uh, okay, and they go on. The story, like, so they get brought into, I, should, I totally messed this up. I could sum up at the beginning, and the, yes. the beginning is that yeah. they, they go to physics class, the professor has them feel a metal plate next to the radiator and observe that the side, that the metal plate away from the radiator is warmer than the side closer to the radiator. And she says, how do you explain this observation? And um, so I, I first read that essay, well, I guess I read it here. And then um, I read that in the, in the short essay called uh, um, Noticing Confusion on the, the blog that Yukaski has. Um, and as far as the line about your strength as a rationalist, I think that's an original hymn. Um, that story, I think, I mean, he must've heard it somewhere, um, unless he made it up, but I think he would have said if he made it up. Um, so assuming that actually happened, uh, he heard about it somewhere and then noticed that as an example of like, no, no, this is like a, a good time to notice that you're confused, but the students didn't. Instead, what they did is tried to use their quote knowledge about physics and like say, oh, it's heat conduction or, um, you know, the air, how the air moves or something. And like, no one says this seems impossible, which it is because the real answer was that the teacher had turned the plate around before they entered the class. Right. So, um, yeah. The, the, uh, the, what's the, uh, the cute little saying is if you see hoof prints, think horses, not zebras. Right. Yeah. Um, unless your house, in which case he says, think zebra. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they, they notice their confusion and then they walk on thinking about it. And I like this line too. Um, I don't suppose, said Harry, that it's actually possible to swap somebody into an alternate universe. Like this isn't our own Rita Skeeter and they sent her somewhere else. And then Quirrell says, if that was possible, do you think I'd still be here? <laughs> Which is kind of a fun way of saying, you know, um, just this sucks. And if I could go somewhere else, don't you think I would? Mm. And then there's this pause and then, ah, of course, let me guess, the Weasley twins and Harry's like, what? How? And I'm afraid I couldn't say. That was... well, that's not fair. So <laughs> I have no idea how Quirrell made that leap of, of logic there. Um, I think we're arrive. supposed to have no idea. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's more like Quirrell as badass. Totally. It totally worked, yeah. I like, and I liked how he tied it up. He's like, that's not fair. He's like, oh, yeah, it's fair. He's like, oh, I couldn't say. Lol. Lol. So then we get a line break and they're at lunch. Or no, wait, sorry. They they go first to uh, Gringotts. Yeah. Um. And Harry has this kind of like off camera. Though. Oh yeah, and Harry's like, oh, there's no banking. Yeah, he and and it's established that Harry doesn't have access to his own money because he's effect, he's effectively an orphan in the eyes of the Wizarding World, because um, Muggles aren't really like people. Um, I'm not sure how much of this it, like is canonical or not. Like, I think that in the canon version, they definitely do like abuse things like memory charms. You know, if magic happens in public, they go and just you know wipe mm, everyone's memories yeah. kind of without their consent and without yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. And then, let's see. Yeah, I mean, Harry's uh, annoyed about his lack of, of autonomy. And it says Harry Harry could breathe without Dumbledore's permission, but only so long as the headmaster not specifically prohibited, because he's effectively a ward of Dumbledore's in the eyes mm -hmm. of the government. Um, and then he had asked Griphook if he could tell him how to diversify his investments beyond gold just sitting in vault. And Griphook had asked what diversify meant. And then... Harry had finally just asked if he could start a bank. And uh, yeah, that's basically that for getting the, the money to um, pay for his occlumency lectures or his yeah. occlumency lessons, I guess. 
Or no, wait, they must have been going there to get money out of Dumbledore's vault, because Dumbledore said he'd pay for it. I guess while they were there, they were asking uh, about Harry's. Well, yeah. actually, I thought the way I read it, which didn't doesn't make sense now in retrospect, but that they were with... When I think it was... They asked Griphook to recommend an Occlumency instructor, even though Griphook is... Because Griphook's actually the banker, right? Yeah. Yeah, so which is kind of... So, it was the, so they weren't there so much about... It wasn't the money, wasn't the reason they were there. They were there to ask Griphook to get an Occlumency instructor... That's right. Make yeah, a lot of sense now that we're saying that. But well, I guess I think I think um, they're also there to like enforce the contract because this was supposed to come with like, all right, the Occlumency instructor will not work for Dumbledore, and he will mm. agree to be obliviated before each session or after oh, each yeah. session, and like all of this is going to involve, and I think instead even an unbreakable vow. So like, because this is a big thing that involves a big contract, I think Gringotts enforces contracts, and that's that's why they're mm-hmm. here. Um, yeah. So then they go to Mary's place, and. Uh, is Mary's place a thing? That uh, seems not that I remember. No, peculiar. It might be might be a thing from some other reference, but yeah. um, it's not from Harry Potter or anything else I've read. So, uh, let's see. Um, oh yes, yeah, so you had to pull out this quote uh, about when when Quirrell orders for him. Oh yeah. See, see, my, my third one. Yeah. So wait, read it. Where is it? Okay. It. Do you want me to read it in the dripping yes, sexiness that you'll read it in? Please. Yes. All right. I'll do my best. So. No, said Professor Quirrell to the waitress, we will not require menus. I will have the daily special accompanied by a bottle of Chianti. Mr. Potter will have the Diracol soup to start, followed by a plate of rupu balls and a treacle pudding for dessert. And it's you had said, so get a room. And I said, they've got one there at Mary's place. <laughs> it's so uh, Fifty Shades. It's just weird. I mean, yeah. It's just weird, I, dude. He's ordering for him. I, it's definitely a power move. Uh, the power move, like, yeah. totally, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a, do- okay. a dominance and power move. Like, no, no, no. He doesn't need a menu. I'll order for him, whatever. Yes, I can I can, I can, can see what... I, I'm picking up what you're putting down, even same. if I'm not going to hold it for long. So, um, <laughs> that said, there were there were two funny things. You looked up Rupu Balls, which is apparently a thing from... From Babylon 5. It was... A, yeah, so, so I think there's like two jokes here. Cause, so, I, I Googled what Derekal is. I, I couldn't tell if it's an actual bird, but it's supposed to be... Um, uh, endangered or possibly extinct, except then in in canon, um, it's only that Muggles think so, and it's actually totally fine. But only wizards know about it or something. It's some like it's some funky looking little um, funky little flightless bird, I think. That's hilarious. That's what they're, eat, they're eating the bird, and then Rupo balls. I totally didn't get. I had to uh, Google it, and after getting rid of, it, apparently there's some uh, some Indian. Uh, philosopher or something with that name but not not that guy but uh, it's from babylon 5 it was i can't remember what their name they're very scary looking snake looking race of people uh had rupo balls which and the joke in babylon 5 is that rupo balls were completely indistinguishable from swedish meatballs and maybe a theory that like oh actually swedish meatballs came from aliens love it um so i thought that was Cute and then like the, the only thing I picked up from this was the bottle of Chianti. So there's two things to pick up from that. One, <laughs> Quirrell is having a bottle of wine with lunch, so baller for him. And two, Chianti is the favorite beverage of all your favorite evil psychopaths. And I sent you that gif of Hannibal Lecter saying yes. I ate his liver with a glass of Chianti. And Rupa um, balls. I'm assuming I'm saying that Chianti. right. I'm not a wine person. It's, yeah, um, I think so. Chianti, yeah. So then Quirrell explains that the room is like impenetrable against scrying and that Dumbledore himself couldn't spy on what they're doing. But let's just do a handful more things to make sure it's all safe in here. So he casts a few different charms, which Harry didn't recognize. And then he's like, even that doesn't really suffice. If we were doing anything of truly great import, it would be necessary to perform another 23 checks besides those. 
Because um, it's it, not like I could stop this from maybe, say, some tiny little animagus. Right. If, But that would be silly. Yeah, of course. You know, if she was in here and she had a small form, then, you know, uh, you know, I, I didn't check against that. Um, she could be wearing the true cloak of invisibility or, you know, some other such rare possibilities. Um, and he's like, you know, I wonder if I should just do those tests anyway, just to not teach you bad habits. And Harry's like, no, it's fine. I, I understand it. I remember. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, I hadn't that, put that together, so I need to, like, re-digest this scene with the knowledge that Rita Skeeter saw all of it. I haven't uh, played through the significance of that. You know, we're we're going to get to that, because um, I I wanted you to put your notes together for this chapter, because it's subtle enough to miss, um, and I almost feel like I shouldn't do a disservice by oh, pointing yeah, it out. Oh, then he talks shit. Um, I wonder if he's doing that for her benefit. Because uh, later he says, if you've not dealt with journalists before, take it from me that the world gets a little brighter every time one dies. Right. And she heard him say that. You know, you, you actually didn't pull out the, the other thing that I feel like is like, if we're going for the whole BD, BDSM, BSDM, mm-hmm. I don't know the acronym. Um, then like the, the whole thing where he's having Harry repeat lines for him. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, repeat after me. Rita Skeeter was a vile, disgusting woman. And then Rita Skeeter was a vile, disgusting woman. Um, I am a dirty, dirty little piggy. I knew you'd say that. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Thanks. All right. Uh, Hashtag. Oh, but this is all in my head. All in my head. Obviously. I think someone's projecting. Uh Um, And I don't think it's the author. (laughs) No. (laughs) um what's funny about that line too is like harry says that he wasn't comfortable saying it but there didn't seem to be any other possible actions none at all which like (laughs) kind of shows the reverence he has for professor quirrell like another possible action would be like i feel like that's a really weird thing for you to make me do um but that doesn't even occur to him as another possible action um so he's like rita skeeter tried to destroy my reputation but i I executed an ingenious plan and destroyed her reputation first she challenged me and lost the game, and I won. Um, she was an obstacle to my future plans, uh, so yada yada. And this is the one where, again, I'm surprised I didn't pull out. Um, I defeated my enemies today. I am a good boy. I deserve a special reward. Which, <laughs> yeah, I I, how, how did you not put that in size 16, uh, you know, or, or was, size 24 text in bold? But, see, see you, uh, you know the theory already, and you are, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I did think, like, okay, besides the really funny SNM vibe going on. Um, I thought it was kind of cool, like the way he was rephrasing everything. Like he wasn't saying it in the same way. Uh, he was like reinterpreting everything he was being told to say verbatim. Um, but yeah. Well, it just, I think it just skips us having to hear it twice. Um, but I, my impression is that Harry's supposed to be reading these uh, line for line. So, um, but then it's, uh, let's see. Oh yeah. Cause my, I don't, I don't look at the impression here that they're taking turns. I think it's just Quirrell lecturing each one of them. Oh, no, because um, he says, repeat after me, right? Yeah, and, so and I think it only does it for the first Harry, one. And Harry, like, quote, like, at least, so the way I read it was he's saying, repeat after me, and he was giving Harry a list of things to say, and Harry was repeating them, but intentionally, like, reinterpreting the words every time. Oh, see, I didn't take it that way. Maybe because the audiobook does it where, um, in the first one, where it's like, Rita Skeeter is a vile, disgusting woman. And then each one after that is all read in Professor Quirrell's voice, and so I think I think we just we're just saved to seeing each line twice um, in the in the text version. Oh, uh, that every single one of them except. Oh, okay. So that each one of them was said by both of them. Yeah, oh, and and that lands. I think I think that's how it's supposed to be read because it wouldn't 
really play out the right way of like so the way under the under your reading would have been like i am a good boy says uh quarrel and then harry says i deserve a special reward and then quarrel says ah i seem to have succeeded in catching your attention um but like he wouldn't have caught his attention if harry had just said that out of nowhere right well, see, I thought it was like instead, like Harry was saying, the equivalent of I am a good boy is I deserve a special award and quarrel. I mean, yeah, no, I think you're right. But that that was what I thought was Harry said the equivalent of I am a good boy is I deserve a special reward. And then Coral was like, oh, I like the way you reinterpreted that as, oh, OK, you deserve an award. And so let's move on to the part where I give you an award. Yeah, but, I think but that, that only works if Coral actually had him say that. Right. Yeah. Um, and then he drew forth a book. <laughs> and it's a diary of a famous person and then i kind of like the the whole thing so coral explains that he stole it from some asshole who just had it in his private collection who didn't deserve it um and then like the argument that harry has with himself and he kind of like separates himself into like his four hogwarts house categories uh, it was a funny little interaction i thought I yeah that. me too and it's like they're all playing exactly what you think each character mm-hmm. would say like you know hufflepuff's like no it's theft and Ravenclaw's like, wait, what part of the, about the word book did you not, <laughs> did understand? You not understand? And uh, the theft part. <laughs> yeah, and then Slytherin's like, oh no, think about it from a utilitarian standpoint. Um, and then Gryffindor's like, he's trying to turn you dark. And Slytherin's like, don't be a naive little boy. And Ravenclaw's like, yeah, whoever owned the book, whoever owned the book originally was probably a Death Eater or something. It belongs with us, which is hilarious because <laughs> Harry's like making up all this shit about the pr- previous book owner just to justify, like, or so Harry's Ravenclaw sides making up whatever it has to make up just to believe that he's justified in stealing the book, um, or she I guess taking the stolen like property. Information wants to be free. Yeah, and then, um. And then, the, so then, knock, 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 our food has arrived, and when Quirrell gets up to answer the door, um, he, like, stumbles, like, we have another one of his, like, spells that we're not entirely uh, clear on what they mean, but, like, his clearly Voldemort-related illness, um, where he, like, suddenly gets weak and, like, and stumbles on his way to the door, and Harry's like, oh, what the hell's going on, and then he's, like, all fine again very quickly, um, and what I was wondering when I read that was, um, and it made me want to go back and see if there's any significant the timing right because i think was this the third time this has happened maybe not actually like a falling down but like the third or fourth i went third or fourth time that we've been uh drawn to the like him having these little you know in between moments where where he's where it's probably like voldemort either leaving or coming back or or whatever but i haven't um i'm wondering if there's significance to the timing of like what's going on at the moments that that those things happen I think there's definitely significance to this one. Um, I think rather than just like, I was going to just like assign you to read the chapter again and figure out what's going on. But instead I just pasted the, well, first I guess the reveal is that the book is the Roger is the diary of Roger Bacon, who was apparently uh, refused his invitation to Hogwarts and did his own little investigation into (laughs) magic. So um, because Roger Bacon was like one of the founders of science, this is a big deal to Harry. So um oh i see i totally didn't get that oh you know why because i didn't uh so yes you just pasted in the last is that the last sentence to the chapter yes nestled up against the wall where professor quarrel had stumbled glistened the crushed remains of a beautiful blue beetle so he just so then clearly i guess he clearly as i'm just noticing it for the first time um so he knew skeeter was in there and killed her that is the is that, most guess, reasonable reading. Yeah. And I, since like you didn't call like it out in your notes, I, I figured you missed it. No, but that I just meant that you finished reading the chapter too quickly. No, I just totally missed that. 
Yeah, so it, it's actually rather heavy, right? Like, oh yeah, you know why? Um, it's because I was good, like I got cut up on the uh, on the Roger Bacon thing because I like immediately went off and Google who Roger Bacon is, but um, he sounds like a uh, local news media anchor. <laughs> Roger Bacon. Damn. Well, I'm, I'm uh, bummed. So I'm, I'm bummed and stoked that you missed the totally the did. murder. Murder. Um, um, so now I'm wondering, did he? Well, so this. What does this mean then? So was the dizzy spell completely fake in order to just be able to stumble onto Rita Skeeter? It or certainly seems know? that way. So I guess, um, yeah, I guess we're not. Uh, so then he was intentionally dropping the idea that that she was because somebody could be a tiny animagus. Yeah, it might be a re- like after we after we finish to reread like this last section with this in mind, because his whole thing about like you know maybe Rita Skeeter's in here and as she's a small animagus and maybe I should do the spell that would reveal animagi just in case like the fact that she's in there on the wall hearing him say that. Oh, and he's. Uh, and yeah. He said, "I will just have to crush you." Exactly, oh, he says, "I have oh, to crush you." Oh. Nice. Well, now I'm really curious, but there isn't enough here for us to definitely know that. Okay, so he said, "Crush you," so then that's probably not on purpose. I guess the only thing I'm wondering, like, if he knew he she was in there, and he knew he planned to crush her, probably wouldn't have like telegraphed his knowledge that she was in there. Well, not, but that was probably more for our benefit. So I, th- I think also just to fuck with her, like because you're not like you're, once the doors close, nothing can come in or out, oh, right? That's true. Oh, and then he crushed her before the door could open. Yeah, go before she could get out. Oh yeah, because so he had outed, so he had let, silently let her know that he was in there, um, and and so he knew that maybe she was could be like, oh shit, the jig's up, and that she would try to escape as soon as he could. So as soon as he knew that the door was about to open, he went and stomped her, and um, then that's why. So he was he, actually he was never. Uh, this wasn't a Voldemort uh, moment at all. He was pretending to stumble. That, that's, why, that's, that's why he That's my read. Um, see, I'm just realizing almost now. Yeah, isn't that great? I think basically we got to do Because once I got like, oh, because there was like a big like, aha, that is the diary of Roger Bacon, uh, which sounded like, okay, that's a big important thing. And I think I just like glossed over. I'm like, oh, something about it. And yeah, there's like one sentence after that. So yeah, yeah in the in the altercation nice. with Quirrell in Act 6, um She's saying, yeah. "No, no, that wasn't important. This man in front of me. She had a. She had just received an, an anonymous tip about Madame Bones making her making time with one of her younger assistants, at, younger assistants at Mary's place." Um, oh, so she and so it was a coincidence that she was in there. I, if I'm putting on my tinfoil hat, it. I don't think it was a coincidence. She received oh, an anonymous he, tip. Oh, the, and he was an He was that's the some, planter of the. That's something was going to be there. Yeah. So then, I think he mm. it. My own speculation at the time of reading is that he planted that he gave her the anonymous tip. Hey, Madam Bones can be in there, uh, you know, having an affair with one of her young uh, assistants. Um, and so then uh, Rita Skeeter turns into a beetle, goes into that room and waits for people to come in. And it's not it's not the it's not Director Bones. It's, uh, you know, Harry and Quirrell. And then Quirrell does this whole thing about checking for um you know, anyone who's here spying, etc. And then he has this like out loud conversation with Harry. Like, I wonder just in case Rita Skeeter's in here as a tiny animagus. Nah, fuck it. I won't bother checking. Um, <laughs> I think that's just a fuck with yeah, it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, and then right after this, he's like, I think you'll find that life, I can't, you don't, I can't get find the exact quote, but he's like, oh, the world gets a little bit better every time a journalist dies. Right. Which I think and then the, la- to be like, the last thing, evil, but. yeah, one of the last things uh, Quirrell says to Miss Skeeter, or to, uh, uh, Rita Skeeter in their altercation was I had hoped to find some lever that would prove persuasive, yet I find I cannot deny myself the pleasure of simply crushing you. Crushing you. 
Yeah. That's well done. That's like tight. Actually, for these last few chapters, because he's been um, he's been bouncing around with the different acts out of order and tying things back and forth together. There's been some well-executed little plot going on here. I'll nice. say. Nice. It would have been, this is like too much to, this would have been too much to try to cram into one five-hour episode, but uh, it would be cool to like have, was this four chapters, three chapters that were all kind of interlocked like this? Yeah, about That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a thing going. That's forward, funny, I guess, because it's such to like divide a, up the chapters, but it's such like a zinger one sentence at the end that I totally missed it. Oh. Well, I'll, I'll let that the uh, cool. um, I'll let the audience decide whether or not it was spoilerific of me to to explicitly point that out. But I, I think, think since it was in if there, I, if I didn't see it when I, it wasn't like I was going to re see it. Although I, it's, I guess it's probably at some point we realize later that he did it on purpose. I. I don't know anything about any of that, but all I know is that, like, since it was Liar, here, it's you exactly no. <laughs> since it was here explicitly in the text, and you just happened to miss yes. it. No, I, th- I, think I figured it's, it I wasn't cheating to point it out. In future, in, a, in any future situations where I completely miss something, you should point it out before we move on. Well, so, yes, I think only I think if it's, right. only if it's expressly there in the text that we read. You know, yes. um, I mentioned last episode, like there are things that we have learned so far that would help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, put together some pieces, solving mysteries that oh, have already yeah. been established. You didn't tell me like how to interpret it. You were just like, "Hey, do this thing right here." So, no, yeah, exactly. So I'm just saying, like, "Hey, you, you didn't funny. read this line." Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, if you if the urge strikes you and you get a really slow morning at work or something, you're welcome to go back and reread the first 20 chapters and be like, "Wait, holy shit, is that something?" Um, even then, you might not notice it because it's subtle. But the book's full of foreshadowing, man. It's it's fun. Um, and I'm not spoiling anything by saying that because I said that at the top of the podcast, at the first episode. Like this is, that's part of the reason I love this so much. It really lends itself to a, to a, a slow reread and catch the things as they come up. Um, but yeah, that's, that's cool. the end of the chapter basically. Mm. I, um, that's totally like oh, you know, now you have to like reevaluate like the levels of evil and quarrel. Indeed, mm. and you know, it, he is Voldemort. I mean, evil. I mean, it's hard to say it's not evil. Uh, he did he did just murder somebody, um, but he did murder somebody who was you know Death trying to destroy the reputation of his favorite young pupil, Harry Potter. So I maybe mean, it was altruistic. Um, I mean, what am I saying? There's all kinds of great reasons to kill people, right? So, <laughs> and is it is is it murder or is it just like animal abuse if they're in insect form? I'm not a philosopher, but I'm going to go ahead and say murder because it's a person inside that animal. Yeah. Plus, it wouldn't just well, be just cool. animal. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I, I do have to go back to that. Like, oh, this like, he was not kidding about the enemy. That wasn't like a flippant little something about your enemies. It, oh, it's... and Harry tried to like call. They like don't fuck with Quirrell. And Harry wasn't even like saying don't fuck with Quirrell because he's scary and will fuck with people back. But he just didn't want the Weasleys to fuck with Quirrell. And and now look what happened. And now Rita Skeeter's dead. It certainly seems so. And yet he he had convinced Harry earlier that. You know, no, what's going to happen is because like Harry has like this moment of panic when he's like, wait, I didn't think about what would happen to Rita Skeeter after this at all. Like maybe she has kids yeah. that she like feeds with the money that she earns doing her job. Yeah, and that's like um, a few things in here. So, yeah, Harry tried to get them to lay off of Quirrell. They didn't, but it did anyway. And then Harry thought, oh, shit, she's in trouble and tried to like, even when he thought it was just like some abstract danger to her. He's like, oh, let me go try to stop that. But And then he's like, you know, sit down. Yeah. He's all disappointed and he's like, yeah. quit being a baby. Um <laughs> And he says, like, no, what's going to happen is she's going to change her name and flee the country because she's been publicly humiliated. Which so, is funny. So he's totally lying as he's saying that. Yes, exactly. It's, it's certainly, yeah, he's he's like, no, nah, 
he's he's giving Harry a reason for like why no one's ever going to hear from Rita Skeeter mm-hmm. again, when in fact he knows full well he plans to kill her in five minutes. Pretty fun. Nice. Yeah. Uh, like That's I said, cool. I feel I feel slightly uh, weird about drawing that out, but like like I said, since it was directly there, I don't nah, think it counts as spoiler if it's like something that like, you just happened to not see. Yeah. That's clean. I guess we have to take these things on a case by case basis, but. We will. If you I'll leave the audience to see whether or not I go to uh, podcast hosting hell for this. So, um, anyway, man, that's our two chapters. There you go. Um, next episode, we're going to read chapters 27 and 28. And like you said, I think chapters 23 through 26 were all kind of like one sort, one part of the story, but like too much to cover in one episode. So they're not all going to divide very neatly. And the next one I kind of just cut off because I think it's at like 16,000 words or something. But, um, you know, two chapters, I think, for the next one sounds good. So 27 and 28. And uh, that's it for that one. So any other final thoughts or reflections on these two chapters? Go look for us on the Media Podcast Network. That's right. I wanted to plug that again before we left for sure. So. Uh, no one forget about that. It's awesome. Head over to uh, doofmedia.com or Patreon slash doofmedia. If you become a patron, there's all kinds of cool rewards. Um, for example, if you donate at the $1 level, you get access to the uh, um, Patreon-only uh, Discord uh, that they have for their server, which um, I'm fine saying. Uh, we can renege on this if you're not sure if you want to or not, Brian, but I'm planning on spending all of my Methods of Rationality time over there. Um, maybe at least most of it, maybe, maybe, maybe most of it at the beginning, but then I think in a month or so at the latest, definitely all of it. I don't have the mental bandwidth to jump between servers and juggle conversations. Like if you've tried, if you followed any of these conversations as they're spilling out in real time on one, on like the, the, we want more, uh, spoiler free channel on the Bayesian conspiracy, like a thousand things happen in 10 minutes. Like I don't have the time to jump back and forth. So I am going to pick one, and it's going to be that one, so. And these spoilers are, like, right there. So this will be safer. This will be safer for me. Yeah. (laughs) So that sounds good. Um, Then, yeah, so that's at the $1 level, you get that. Um, You can also, if you are listening to We've Got War, or We've Got Ward, you can watch uh, live recordings of those episodes. Brian and I don't do these live because I don't want to. Um, There's a non-zero chance we will do some live later, but honestly, I don't see the point. Like, you're just going to see our faces. Like, I'm not going to be having time to interact with people while it's going on. So, that said, if you do yeah, want to do live interaction with us... lack of editing that actually happens. Yeah, right? Um, so, uh, if you do want to hang out with us one-on-one at the $5 level... Uh, so, the first level on the Doof Media Rewards is called Badoof, which is my favorite name, because it's got the little Badoof Pokemon, um, which is that beaver-looking thing. And then the Doof Dancer is the wacky, waving, inflatable, arm-flailing tube man. And that's the, uh, you get access to the uh, month exclusive monthly hangout session and Q&A session with the hosts of all the podcasts, not just me and Brian and Matt and Scott. Um, so seriously, check all this stuff out. Uh, we're corporate shills now, but I wouldn't shill if I wasn't really serious about it. So, um, is that, like, Does that mean we are the man? Well, I, I think the man is bad, right? So yeah. since it's actually really cool, I'm I'm super in favor of it. So okay. anyway, do check it out. Do jump over, throw throw Doof some money, which actually helps support this podcast. Um, Brian and I are each and I don't know, pay- something in the hole for gets. buying expensive microphones and stuff. So exactly. it'll keep we can keep our production quality up. If anything sucks, we can buy new things, um, pay for hosting and all that stuff. So all that will suddenly become uh, you know 
part of uh, that. That the whole, you know, people have Patreons for a reason, right? So to help support all that stuff. And our four hundredth supporter gets a jar of peanut butter. Yes. All right. We can try and make that happen if you want to ship a jar of peanut butter to somebody. Um, what we can do with Shipped our with the, when the we have 400 supporters. States. What was that? Shipped anywhere in the 48 continental United States. Okay. Yeah. So make sure you made that clear because someone from, you know, Australia is going to want that exactly. $60 shipment of peanut butter. So, like um, peanut butter. <laughs> the peanuts probably came from Australia first. Well, but what, the other thing I think we want to do at 400 patrons is, um, uh, we want to do like, so they do, a, a quarterly fan art contest with, I think a hundred dollar prize for the top winner. Um, uh, for we've got ward and i think it they do it like anything with wild bows writing it could be found out to any of that but i i'm not 100 percent sure because i've never c- contributed other than voting so i do vote in these which you also only get to vote if you're a supporter but if you uh if you're a supporter you also get to participate um so yeah once we hit 400 patrons which will give us a little time to actually plan out when this is going to happen um we can do fan art contests for this podcast as well so if you want to cash in on the best at the best uh Highest rated art wants to cash in a hundred sweet dollars, and people want to vote. Another good incentive to vote, to uh, join the Patreon servers so, or po- Patreon what account? You can tell I'm running out of steam. So, <laughs> and we'll work out higher level reward stuff for us at that point or after a little while. We just got on um, as of actually today, the day of recording, uh, Saturday, February first. So, if you happen to be on the Doof Discord, you'll you'll have seen the announcement that went out. Uh, a couple hours ago but um at the time of listening it was two days ago so um yeah anyway check out doof they rock um it's a lot of fun and i think that's all i've got for you this week anything else from you brian i know we should stretch this out a little longer we've only been going for about two and a half hours yeah let's talk about something completely random and and rabbit hole for 10 minutes tabs versus spaces you want to beat that horse of the bsdm more (laughs) Beat the that's like bestiality. Okay, never mind. What do they call that that thing that you hit a horse with? Don't they also use that in the sex crop, play that yes. you're super obsessed with? <laughs> that that yes, crop. Or, you know, crop. Heard, yeah, I've read. Uh, uh, yes, I, I I read I read it for the articles. Stories. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, of course. I have had all the sexes. Right. Clearly, you you have a kid. So I have I have like all like both of the. All many times with girls, <laughs> hot girls too, man. Hot girls. All right. Well, we're clearly uh, descending into madness. So, <laughs> I'm calling it here. We'll uh, see you guys next week bye. for chapters 27 and 28.